Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOT. And this week, we are going over UFC San Diego, headlined by a bantamweight fight between Marlon Chito Vera and Dominic, the Dominator Cruz. I think his nickname is still the Dominator. But a uh, very intriguing main event that we have here. Um, a huge, huge uh, correction in regards to uh, who the top guys are at Bantamweight right now. And I think we're going to be seeing it here in this uh, Chito Vera and uh, Dominic Cruz fight. A lot of people buying the hype on Chito Vera, who's on a, a solid run right now. A good amount of uh, finishes. Obviously a huge beatdown of Rob Font last time around. But can he defeat his toughest test to date in one of the greatest bantamweights of all time? We'll find out. And it seems like I have a fly in here as well somewhere. So uh, you guys will be getting cameos from them as well as Alfred, who's just chilling off on to my left side. So <clears throat> seems like I got a, a little bit of a frog in my throat. Let me see if I can quickly clear that before we get into this. All right. Shout out to everybody that's already in here. Cold Stein. I see a Paizo DFS. That's my dude right there, as well as my guy, Elajuan Dream. Jules, letting you guys know. Make sure you guys get those likes going because that is the main driver in terms of getting your boy out there and uh, growing this community on a week to week basis. So appreciate everybody doing that. Nicholas Lee saying, just put a like. I'm like an hour and a half away from SD. Mike could take us and make some live bets. Might as well. You might as well. Lou Betcher saying, one of my top 200 Canadians. 200? Who are the other 199? <laughs> I'm doing well, my friend. Appreciate you stopping by. Papa Chuck in the chat as well. Just bought a single ticket to 278. So pumped. Yes, I believe that is next week. Hey, if you're within driving distance of a UFC event, fucking go for it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I always say, especially if you're a hardcore fan. You do definitely are doing yourself a disservice if you don't go to the events. Um, again, I, I know most people like to enjoy it from the comfort of their home or watching it on TV, as TV is probably the best feel that you'll ever get. But there's nothing like being in the actual atmosphere of where the fisticuffs are taking place. So I always will go to a, a card if it's within a six to eight our driving radius of me. I did fumble the bag. Obviously, uh, when uh, Columbus, uh, the Columbus card happened back here in March, I believe it was March, but uh, I won't let that happen again. Large one dreams saying, man, pretty up there with Terry Fox. Shout out to Terry Fox. And shout out to the Terry Fox run as well, something I look forward to every year so he didn't have to sit in class. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's not waste too much more time. Let's uh, first and foremost get into the betting recap of the last event that we had, which was UFC Vegas 59. And that uh, stretched our event winning streak now to three events. Uh, if you want to count last night's Dana White Contender Series, I cashed on that as well. So that's four straight winning events. Uh, last night was Carpenter and Wojcik. I had them parlayed 1.17 units at minus 117 to win one unit. So happy to hit that leg as well. Um, yeah, continuing to add to the profits of the year. Uh, again, Dana White Contender Series, I don't like going too deep in. There's just too many unknowns in regards to uh, 
you know, how guys are actually going to compete against legitimate competition, if they will actually stick with their game plan. Perfect example, Mr. Clayton Carpenter thought he should go out there and outstrike Edgar Chirez. Glad that Chirez heard him enough to remind him that, hey, my way to win this fight is to take this fight to the ground. And that's what he was able to do in the second and third rounds, being able to eke out that win. Not the greatest performance for a minus 350 favorite, but he still went out there and got it done. And that's what I like to see. So uh, plus one unit there. But let's move on back to the um, uh, UFC Vegas 59 event, which is, like I said, another winning event. We'll start off with this uh, crazy 1.1 unit parlay that I had Um First of which was uh, Sergey Spivak, absolute domination in that fight. Um, you know, shout out to my guy, John Sargarian, who, you know, for pre-tape, I, I reached out to him. I'm like, hey, like, Sakai could be a good spot here. Why the fuck is Sergey such a, a big favorite? And uh, then he's like, dude, Sergey will take him down and he's going to maul him. He's going to finish him as well. To me, I thought maybe, you know, Sakai could keep the standing and he'll be, have the better striking. He'll be able to touch him up and, and get him out of there. But... Uh, my guy, John Stargarian, was right. Uh, I, I realized it as well after running the tape. I still had a little bit of skepticism in regards to Spivak's, uh, oh, sorry, uh, Sakai's takedown defense and get-ups. He showed great get-ups, but he just could not keep getting up. <laughs> and that was the problem there. Uh, but we do catch on uh, Spivak as the first leg of that parlay. Uh, next was the fight to not start round three of the Terrence McKinney and Eric Gonzalez fight. Is there ever any question with Terrence McKinney fights? Always bet that or bet him in round one, or bet the fight to not start round two, or round three if you want to be safer. But violence is always going to be on the menu when Terrence McKinney steps inside the cage. So that, like, cashes with relative ease. And then the Mihal Oleg Shajak versus Sam Alvey fight. Minus 175 was a gift and a half. I probably should have made that my lock of the night play, uh, but obviously it was something else I ended up hitting. So regardless, we end up cashing on both sides there. Uh, glad Oleg Shajak came out there with the exact game plan I expected him to get on the neck or sorry, get on the, get on the horse and, and get to, to pressuring Sam Alvey right away. And that's what he was able to do. Uh, got him out there with the vicious combination, broke his jaw as well, if I'm not mistaken and farewell to Sam Alvey, who has had a tumultuous run over his last, uh, eight, nine fights, eight fight winless streak, nine fight winless streak. Um, and now he's outside of the UFC. So uh, shout out to me, Halo Shajuk, successful middleweight debut. We get to cash that one, plus 184 parlay at 1.1 uh, units to cash 2.03 units. So there you guys go. Uh, next up was uh, a small play on the Stephanie Yeager fight. Minus 113 on 1.13 units. That cash, uh, sorry, that uh, weird one there, right? Uh, Stephanie Yeager gets put in a precarious position and uh, is not able to get her arm out of the armbar. The only person that saw that tap was the judge. I could see how, you know, Egger, you know, she was being very suspicious about it, not really saying anything, uh, whether she tapped or not tapped, until she was officially declared the loser. And then she goes, I didn't tap. Um, it, tough situation, right? We've never seen something like that where uh, a tap is hidden so much because of the cage and the positioning of both fighters. But, you know, I, I could see the argument for Edgar being like, hey, I didn't ha tap. I was trying to fight out of that armbar. And we've seen, you know, I just watched the fight back uh, while tape starting for UFC San Diego, the uh, Dylan Carpenter fight against, um, fuck, who's the heavyweight? Uh, Lucas Proseski, right? Um, it, it looked like 
he was about to tap, but he was actually going to fight the hand. And Mark Smith took that as him tapping, and he ultimately ended up stopping the fight. Maybe that's what ended up happening with Stephanie. Maybe she tried just reaching for her arm and getting it out. Regardless, she gets caught in an armbar, and she gets tapped out. Something that I didn't think uh, Edgar would get caught in. She ended up getting caught in, but I'm glad that I kept my action to a minimal there. Uh, Dog of the Night play, one of the island picks that I had for last week because everybody and their mother seemed to be on Vicente Luque. 1.9 units cashers at plus 160 for 3.04 units of profits. Very happy with Jeff Neal's performance outside of that second round, which seemed like he was slowing down. However... I believe all three judges actually scored that second round for Jeff Neal. So even if he had gone on to lose that third round, he would have won that decision. But luckily, he goes out there, turns on the burners, and gets Vicente Luque out of there for the first time via KO in his professional career. So big shout-out to Jeff Neal. Reminding people that he can go out there and still compete at a high level. I wonder what odds we'll get on him next, depending on the level of matchup that he gets. And then lastly, lock of the night play on Brian. Battle of hits with relative ease here. My, five units at minus 230. Catches for 2.17 units. You know, we didn't get to see the fight get extended and see how that weight cut truly affected Brian Battle, but I'm glad that he went out there, landed that big head kick, and got Takashi Sato out of there with relative ease. So all in all, plus 6.11 units, plus 7.11 units, if you want to include the Dana White Contender Series from this uh, from yesterday. 67% ROI. Very happy with that. My straight picks, excuse me, my straight picks has really been my bread and butter in terms of my tracked units now, I'm at, I've am at i been at the peak of my straight uh, pick or money line picks, I should say, at plus 41.93 units now all time. Got to hone in on that. You know what I mean? Really got to hone in on that as that seems to be where I do my best work. So I'm going to continue to back money line spots over props unless there is a prop that absolutely is yelling out to me to be like, hey, bet me, bet me. And there is actually one or two props this week, and I'll likely be betting. But the majority of my action will be on the money line. All right, let's see what the live chat is saying here, real quick. And then we're going to get back into the breakdowns of UFC San Diego. Reminder if you guys aren't able to catch the full episode here, it is also available on podcasting platforms. So make sure you guys go support it over there as well. Uh, and also, if you want to support your boy, you know, the best way to do so is hit that like and subscribe. That is the easiest way, right? It all takes a click of a button or a tap of a thumb if you're watching this on your mobile. But the other way is the Patreon. Uh, Patreon uh, link is in the description below. Five bucks a month, super cheap for all the work that I put in for you guys. Best bets and props article where you get my thoughts on every single matchup as well as the best bet and best uh, prop as well as the best hedging opportunity as well as the uh, a quick um, brief description of how you should be going into uh, a specific fight from a live betting angle as well if you're looking to live bet fights uh, also they get first dibs on my picks uh, whenever I drop them uh, since I am on a three event winning streak now uh, four obviously uh, picks were all, are only going to be behind the Patreon wall until I hit my next losing event so um if you guys want to see the picks, I will be releasing my dog of the night play for free. Uh, I'll be dropping a, a full video for that or a four to five minute video, breaking that down uh, tomorrow. Um, but every other pick is going to be behind the paywall. So make sure you guys go check that out on the Patreon. If you guys want to see what I'm betting. All right. And the last thing I'll say about the Patreon, I am liking, uh, I push it more so as being a uh, support me for the content that I put out, not for the picks I make. Right. Sure, you can see the picks that I make and tail them and take them as you please. But what I always try to say to people is take my breakdown, 
put it up against your notes or put it up against other people's notes and then come up with your own conclusions as well. The picks are just a cherry on top. The, the Patreon is mainly for the content and uh, supporting your boy in that aspect, not to mention the great Discord community that we have as well attached to the Patreon. So that's what I want to push more. There are so many other amazing handicappers out there with plus 200 units and lifetime, all that bullshit. Like you guys can go follow them if you guys strictly want the picks and all that stuff. But I know I'm good at my reads. I know I'm good at what I do. And I put a lot of work into it as well. So the five bucks a month goes more so towards that. All right. Let us get into... Actually, sorry. Uh, I, I wanted to see what the live chat was saying here before we continue on with the breakdowns. Lodge One Dream saying, so true. Terry Fox runs were the best in school. Exactly. Nicholas Lee saying, did good this Saturday and then lost it all to the live dealer. Ouch. I had to kind of a couple of DK lineups. So I think he got me like five points. Yeah, did that, that did not look good. Nicholas Lee said, I had the over one and a half of the T-Rex fight. Don't do it, my man. Don't do it. Uh, what is it now? 15, 15 out of 17 fights have not reached round two for Terrence McKinney. And now 16 out of 17 of them uh, have finished under the one and a half round mark. Also, sorry, it looks like Alfred's trying to eat one of the flies that are in here. The only fly that's in here that I believe. So hilarious just hearing him just snap his mouth. <laughs> Justin Villegas saying his last fight, they fired him and his bread and butter is a spawn. They broke it too. Damn. Yeah. R.I.P. Sam Alvey. Papa Chuck saying, I hope people keep betting on Onama so I can get a better money line on land where I think he's very loud this weekend. Gotta love that hillbilly. I think you might like my breakdown once we get there as well. Real News MMA saying, great call on you. Absolutely. Thank you, my man. Uh, that head kick was sick. It was absolutely sick. Justin Villegas saying, I hear when UFC fighters get cut, Dana White got his hands on the basket. Uh, Jeter gives out and give them away as parting gifts. Villegas always with the, with the giggles. I love it. BP, What's going on, my man? Appreciate you stopping by. Asking for my early thoughts on a different fight. Come on, my man. You've been here long enough. We are talking about UFC San Diego. If you want to hear my thoughts on that, I will be doing the MMA Log Talk at 4 p.m. Eastern as well. So if you want to ask me that question in that live chat, you're more than welcome to do so, and I'll be happy to answer it over there. Justin Villegas saying, Lachlan, I got Anderson Silva walkout of Tire Vibes going on. This is shout out to my guy, Flying Brian J. If you guys don't know him on Twitter, uh, he takes after his love for Anderson Silva, which is why he made the colors the way they are and why he made the, uh, the, uh, the logo the way he did as well. MD saying, Vera, Onama, Yasmin, Azamat, Silva, Boudet, Osborne, Lipsky, Parlay Lock. We shall see as we get through it. All right, Cold Stein saying catching flies like Mr. Miyagi. Pretty much. Shout out to Alfred holding it down. All right, let's stop twiddling our thumbs over here. Let's get into the actual breakdowns of this card. We got, uh, usually I, I lean on topology to tell me how many fights we have scheduled for a fight, but it looks like they're going to make me count here. We got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 fights on this UFC San Diego card. Two of which were which were supposed to happen this past weekend, um, but they get pushed for obvious reasons. And now here we are seeing them throw down in San Diego. So the first fight of the night, at least according to Tapology, I'm sure that this is going to get uh, jiggled up a little bit as uh, as we get closer to fight day. But we have uh, Ariane Lipsky going up against Priscilla Cachoeira. In terms of odds, we got minus 205 on Lipsky, plus 175 the return on Priscilla Cachoeira. Now, last week I had a bet on uh, Priscilla Cachoeira, plus 150, one unit. 
Now she, I'm seeing plus 175, which I'm kind of hating, right? I hate not getting the best number possible and kind of surprised that we're actually getting that love on Lipsky. I wouldn't be surprised to see the, you know, the lines start to come back in and we get back to that plus 150 Cashuera side. But uh, I still feel good about the Cashuera, you know, uh, that Cashuera bet. My bookie is still keeping my Cashuera action. So I am going to move it on over to this UFC San Diego card. Um, and it's simply put, man, Priscilla Cashuera fights to a T in regards to her nickname, the zombie girl. She moves forward. She throws big strikes. She takes tremendous amount of damage, but does not let that deter her in terms of moving forward and throwing big shots. Um, all week last week, I was saying it, and I'll continue to say it all week this week. Ariane Lipsky is the better mixed martial artist. Priscilla Cashuera is the better fighter. And sometimes in some matchups, it comes down to who the better fighter is. And I truly think that Priscilla Cashuera is the better fighter. She's going to move forward. She's going to put big shots on her. And I think she'll eventually break Ariane Lipsky and eventually get her out of there. Some of the takes I was hearing last week uh, kind of make me think a little bit and uh, make me think a little bit deeper about this fight um, in regards to what if we see Lipsky go out there and take a grapple-heavy approach? That will likely be her best way to win this fight. But is she going to pull off another our knee bar like she did against Luana Carolina? I think that was more positionally based than anything. But like, will she go for an arm bar? Will she be able to stay on top? Will she be able to keep that pressure on top? Because Cashwara, at times, you know, when she does really work to get back to her feet, she can do that pretty well. And Lipsky, you know, she came over from KSW as the violence queen, but we've seen little to no violence since being in the UFC outside of that knee bar that she had against Luana Carolina. She's not known for being a ground specialist. She's not known for taking girls to the ground and grinding them out there. So I'm not truly convinced that she's going to go out there and have that amount of success there, right? I remember pre-Montana De La Rosa fight. She made that uh, change to American Top Team, and everybody thought that would be the, the missing formula, or sorry, the missing ingredient in that winning formula that she had in KSW. Didn't work out. You know, it, it, it still didn't work out. De La Rosa pounded her into the mat and got her out there uh, relatively easily. So I get a cash world will be at a skill set disadvantage, which is why I'm not betting her at chalk here. I'd rather take the plus money and hope that she can just break Ariane Lipsky. I am not sold on Lipsky's uh, wins inside the UFC, right? She beats a 24-hour short notice, Isabella de Padua. She beats Luana Carolina, though I would like to see that fight get extended because, you know, considering Luana Carolina's uh, recent form outside of that knockout loss to Molly McCann, she could have made a tough night for Lipsky. And I had a bet on Lipsky that night. I'll say that. I was I just wasn't concerned. Uh I wasn't convinced or sold on Luana Carolina back in July of 2020. Then she goes on to lose two fights by ground and pound to Antonina Shevchenko and Montana De La Rosa. You know, the, the latter one being a little bit more understanding, but Shevchenko via ground and pound. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Uh, and, and then she beats Mandy Bohm. So her wins are Isabella de Padua, Luana Carolina, and Mandy Bohm. That's it. That's it. Very, very sketchy. Priscilla Cashuera, in my opinion, is somewhere between the losses and wins that Lipsky has had, and I'll be happy to take the underdog shot here. Uh, Papa Chuck saying lipstick with the extra week and wait. I like her even more now. Yes, they are. They are not cutting extra weight for this matchup. It's going to be 135 pounds. Uh, just another guess thing. Always good when they have fights in my backyard. <clears throat> it's five hour drive to my backyard. 
again, I love road trips. You know, if you guys have been following me for a while, you guys know I've road tripped to, to see my in-laws plenty of times in Saskatchewan, which is a 28-hour-plus drive. But uh, I love I love road trips. Absolutely love them. Rick DeWuller is saying, do you think Lipsky cracks hard enough to get Priscilla respect? If not, I see Zombie Girl just talking to her the whole time. She could hit her a couple times, but, like, we've seen Priscilla get hit with some big shots, and it still doesn't deter her from going out there and doing what she does. Move forward, throw big strikes. Justin Villagas saying she missed weight drain now, probably train still off and drain, and now got make way again. Give me Priscilla with stoppage. Uh, a lot to digest there for my guy Justin, but uh, yeah, I, I'm glad that he ended that with Priscilla with stoppage. Priscilla, any type of win, I'll be happy with. Kairos with the question in regards to Angela Hill, uh, I do think she will get cut if she loses here. AO22 saying Lipsky by decision or Cashora by KO. Cashora could win by decision as well. And Lipsky could win by submission. So a mixed bag of possible outcomes in this fight. I think playing the money line on either side would be the better way. I think you're getting much better value on the Cashora side. All right, let's move on to the next fight. And it is another one that was supposed to take place last week in the welterweight division. We got Jason Witt going up against Josh Quinlan. In terms of odds, we are looking at minus 245 on Quinlan, plus 205 the return on Jason Witt. Now, this fight got pushed back one week because Quinlan still had some residue from, uh, you know, uh, prohibited substances. And they decided, like, you know what? Nevada's a little strict. Maybe we can move it to California and they'll be okay. Similar situation to this. If you guys remember, John Jones versus Alexander Gustafson too was supposed to take place in Nevada the week of the fight, or at least the week before the fight. I think it was Josh or John Jones still had picograms. I think that was the whole, that's when the whole picogram thing was uh, brought to, to light. Yet picograms of uh, steroids still in his system, but Nevada wasn't allowing him to fight. So, the UFC up and moved the entire show, a pay-per-view event. They moved from Las, uh, Las Vegas to California, and they're able to get away with it. Obviously, they didn't pick up and move an entire event for Josh Quinlan, but they did end up moving him to this card uh, just to give him that benefit of the doubt. Uh, easy fight to break down, right? Jason Wood either smothers you with his gorilla-like strength and his wrestling and either gets you out of there with TKO or just grinds you out and beats you via decision. I think if he to win this fight, it will likely come via decision. And then the Josh Quinlan side, big power in his hands, all wins by stoppage. The guy can knock you out. The guy can take your back and choke you out. The guy can seem to do it all, but he's only five and zero. And to me, that you know, I'm not calling it a red flag, but it does make me cautious in terms of paying a minus two sixty price tag on a guy that only has five professional fights. The guy looks like he has it all, though. He's solid combinations, good power, great jujitsu. Seems like he can you know, deal with whatever Jason Wood is going to be bringing to him on the ground and then eventually either catch him in a submission, get back to his feet and, and, and possibly knock this guy out. All of these are live and possible on the table. I would rather take Quinlan by inside the distance, which is currently around minus 135, than paying the minus 245 chalk on him. Uh, but, you know, with all the steroid stuff and all the question marks of what he's actually going to be like coming into the cage, I, I'm still a little bit skeptical of what kind of performance he's going to give us. So I'll be staying off the fight myself. I still do think Quinlan is the side here to go out there and expose the fragility of Jason Witt. 
Uh, so I'll go with Josh Quinlan by early KO. Uh, Moise Audio saying, Queen Cashware around 3K or plus 3,000. I don't mind it. Pat Guido, I see you talking about the Cruz fight. I will get back to your comments, or if you want to drop your comments once again, once I get to the main event, I'll be happy to uh, hear you out in regards to your argument for Chito Vera. Paizo DFS saying, Quinlan still on some ish. Makes me more confident in betting him now. LOL, true. Possibly. AO22 saying, I hope Quinlan loses. I hate cheaters. I'm rooting for wit. Papa Chuck saying, Quinlan has got that backroom GNC connect. You know it. You know it. Justin Villegas saying, I'm more worried about Super Brawly Smoka with the steroids sweating off his body like pollen on a flower. And everyone who even sniff around Quinlan start raging out of nowhere. If I could... Um, if I could get a whiff of that and turn into a super saint, I'd be more than happy to. My guy, Evan Cross, saying, what's your best baseball bet today? I appreciate your diversification in the betting markets. Since when am I a, be uh, a baseball guy? I am no baseball guy. <laughs> uh, I would recommend hitting up my guy, WizBets. That guy is pretty good at baseball as well as my guy, uh, Ball Says Pal. Absolute monster in there as well. There's some more, and Becky's saying, some man pretty great memory show with the Soul Survivor, Soul Survivor Young G. He's talking about the MMA Lock Talk from yesterday. Maybe I'll bring it back again for MMA Lock Talk today at 4 p.m. Eastern. You shall see. All right. Let's move on to the next fight. Staying on topic, we're going to be talking about Yusuf Zalaw going up against Damon Blackshear in terms of odds. Pretty close fight here. We got minus 125 on Yusuf Zalal and plus 105 on the short notice Demond Blackshear. Now, this is the fight that I, you know, fucking throw a coin in the air and see where it lands, right? Like, I'm not uh, totally sold on other guy here. I'm still having a tough time in terms of figuring out what guy, what each guy is really good at, right? Like, seems like they're all, they're pretty much a, a mixed bag of, of skills in terms of mixed martial arts. Um, you know, Zalal likely having more success if he's able to get fights into the grappling and clinch situations. Uh, DeMond Blackshear, big power in his hands, has some jiu-jitsu up his sleeve as well. But, like, I'm not entirely sold on either guy, and I don't have much conviction to play this at a, at a near pick -em line. Um, if, if you look through DeMond Blackshear's record, you'll notice uh, a, a couple names, right? A couple familiar names, even dating back to his amateur days where he, in his second ever amateur fight defeated tony gravely but tony did manage to get that back uh, a year later uh but other names that are of note alan cruz he beat him via rear naked choke back in june of 2017 lost to chris Moutinho via decision yuck lost to pat sabatini lost to, uh sorry beat mike kimball i believe that was an upset victory that night i'm oh, sorry he was a minus 200 favorite wow uh based on the commentary for that fight it seemed like mike kimball was the guy that uh Bellator was hoping to win and was putting him in a setup spot, but gets a rear, uh, gets a rear naked choke that night by Demon and ends up losing. Uh, loses to Danny Sabatello. That fight playing out exactly as you would expect over five rounds. Or sorry, I believe it was five rounds, but uh, still 
tough night for uh, DeMond dealing with the grappling of Danny Sabatello. Matteo Vogel is another guy that, you know, maybe not a lot of people know about. I'm very familiar with him. He's a Canadian guy, very high-level jiu-jitsu, put DeMond into some compromising positions, but DeMond was able to get out of them and get back to his feet, get back to his bread and butter of his striking um, and getting the win via decision there. So, I, I lean the Zalal side, given the short notice nature for Demon, but Demon has a tremendous amount of experience to go out there and still have some success uh, in, in this UFC's bantamweight division, right? He can go out there and scrape the bottom of the barrel and get some wins with his overall skill set, striking, grappling, all that stuff. But I just don't know if the short notice spot is a good spot for him. So um, if I were to play anything here, it would probably be the over two and a half. You know, it's minus 230. It's a little bit, um, it's a little chalky. I get it, but I just don't have too much conviction or confidence on either side to get to the, get their hand raised in this spot. So give me Yusuf Zalal, Yusuf Zalal via decision. Papa Chuck saying, I've got Zalal here via grindy decision. His past losses were only decisions to killers in the UFC. I fully believe he gets it done here. I'm glad that you brought that up as well. It seems like Zalal gets, you know, the, the times where he, he struggles as when he fights guys that have a that have a significant striking advantage over him. That's what Sean Woodson had. That's what Sung Woo Choi had. Uh, and there was one more before that, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, Ilya Taporia, right? It's fucking Ilya Taporia who took that fight on short notice and had a great overall performance against him as well. So give me a lull, but not with much confidence. I would tell you guys to just... Fade this fight all in all. Moise Audio saying fade Jackson Wink. There you go. Right. Just for the guy saying, I hate both, but give me Zalal to and by losing UFC experience. There we go. Uh Paizo saying I was going to be all over Zalal because of narrative reasons. Thinks he's too talented to be on this losing streak. But then Blackshirt kind of looks kind of legit. So it looks like a complete pass for me. Couldn't have said it better myself, my friend. Rick the ruler saying Zalal fighting for his job. He's in desperation mode. Should put up good effort. He should. Crazy that he's already on the chopping block, right? Remember, he was the guy that was like super active during the COVID era. Or at least he had his first fight right before COVID hit and then just stayed active. Jordan Shepard sings a lot, tends to go out and spar for three rounds. He's going to have to have more conviction this weekend if he wants to save his job. <clears throat> All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about Angela Hill versus Lupi Lupita Godinez. In terms of odds, we got minus 295 on Godinez, plus 245 on Angela Hill. Now, going back to um, going back to the question here from my guy, Kairos MMA, if Angela Hill loses, do you think she should get cut? I do. I do. This will be four fights in a row, although you know this is a very difficult matchup. And I think... The reason the UFC has decided to move this fight up and allow them to fight at 120 pounds rather than the actual straw weight limit of 116 pounds is because Angela Hill wanted her likely last UFC fight to be in her hometown of San Diego, right? I, I think not, sorry, not hometown, but where she currently trains out of, uh, you know, Alliance MMA is in San Diego. Well, technically Chula Vista, <laughs> but I've heard them rep San Diego. Is, is Chula Vista even near San Diego? Because all I've ever heard with with the uh, with Alliance MMA is the fact that they're based out of San Diego. Let me do my quick geography homework here. Yeah, Chula Vista is just south of San Diego, between San Diego and Tijuana. So it's San Diego, pretty much. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I think she wanted it to be in front of that crowd. I think she wanted to be like, hey, I'm 37. You guys are giving me another horrible stylistic matchup. So let me just at least have my swan song uh, pretty much in my hometown so I can just go back home rather than going to a fighter hotel and and weeping about it. Um, going back and watching the Verna Jandy Roba fight, I'm not sure how you can watch that fight then pick Angela Hill in this spot, right? Verna Jandy Roba, we, we know she has tremendous jiu-jitsu, but her wrestling, you know, a little bit skeptical. It's given her trouble in the past and she hasn't been able to get fights to the ground, which is why fighters have been able to beat her. But Lupi Godina is phenomenal wrestler. She should have no trouble getting Angela Hill to the ground here, and she should have no trouble getting to dominant positions and seeking finishing opportunities. You know, Angela Hill is not going to have the opportunity to showcase her advantage in this fight, which is her striking. But even her striking leaves a lot to be desired. She's not a finisher, right? I remember back in 2019 and 2020 where everybody expected her now to be a finisher all of a sudden after she got that doctor stoppage via cut against Ariane Carnalosi and she ground and pounded Hannah Cyphers. But since that fight, she's gone two and five, right? She just beat, not just beat, but she beat Loma Lukumi, solid victory for her there. But like she gets her best work done when she's able to have a, a, a kickboxing match, a 15-minute kickboxing match where she's able to put volume and uh, output out there. She's not going to get the opportunity to do that here against Lupi Godinez. I think Lupita gets this to the ground relatively easily. Now the question comes, does she grind it out or does she find a submission victory? Um, submission for Godinez right now, wow, it's plus 500. That seems out of whack, in my opinion. Her TKO is plus 900 as well. Might have to take a little bit of a shot on the, uh, uh, the submission prop here, right? Like, Rana Marcos was able to get a submission off on her. And now I get it. Jandy Roba wasn't able to get a submission. Maybe uh, we saw Angela Hill very much work on her submission defense, so she does not succumb to a submission. But given the amount of success I expect Lupi to have from the top position, I think that opens up finishing opportunities. I wish I was more convicted with it. What I will likely end up doing is just parlaying loopy in a, at a certain spot like i don't mind paying minus 295 minus 300 for her in this spot straight up considering i expect her to have that much of an advantage over angela hill but uh maybe just parlaying her with something else that seems to be a surefire spot that's probably the way to go here so give me loopy probably the end of angela hill's career as well loopy godin is going to go out there and absolutely squash this chick Papa Chuck saying Lupi via 3026 overkill kids cut from the UFC roster and assumes a full-time desk position with the UFC. Yes. I think that's probably what it's going to end up being. Uh, problem kid saying there's a lot too much experience, even though Blackshear has a good record against good talent. SD Crusaders Hill. SD Crusaders saying Hill is going behind the desk. I agree. Jordan Shepard saying Angela Hill beat uh, Amanda Lemos. Amanda Lemos, you know, slowly getting... Uh, exposed, although she did bounce back with a decent victory in her last fight against uh, Michelle Watterson, but she's got a tough one against Marina Rodriguez. Let me see if they have odds for the Rodriguez fight. Yes, they do. Minus 150 for Marina Rodriguez. Let me back up the Brinks truck on that one. I'd be surprised if Lemos is able to have much success against a girl like Marina Rodriguez. Um, let's see what the other chat is saying here. Justin Villegas saying anything past San Diego is basically Mexico. Rick the Ruler saying bad matchup for Hill. I agree. Paizo saying uh loopy lock of the card, in my opinion. Love the spot for her. We'll miss making money betting against Angie. Me too, my friend. Me too. 
problem kids saying Lupi gonna box and wrestle her up to a 29 28 Lupi has a lot of talent interesting you think that Angela Hill will eventually steal around in there Moyes Audio saying Lupi Nickel you know it you know it Justin Villegas saying Angela Hill is chasing Alvi record you can do it at Hill, don't let anyone tell you different. I'd be surprised if the UFC keeps her on, especially with the 13 and 13 record after this weekend, which will push her UFC record to, I think, 8 and 12. One thing she does have a record for is, uh, sorry, eight, it'll be 8 and, yeah, 8 and 12 after this weekend. She has 20, sorry, I might be off on that. It might be 8 and 11 this weekend. Either way, she has the record or will be tying Jessica Andrade for the record of most women's MMA fights with 21 this weekend. She currently has 20, but that is unfortunately all she'll be known for. Rick DeRuler is saying, I'm thinking if Vienna couldn't get the sub, Lupi by decision, probably the spot. Maybe. I think you're talking about Verna, but yeah, maybe. But it doesn't always work out like that, right? Like, like yes, you make a good point, but Retina Marcos tapped her, <laughs> right? Like, it doesn't always work out that if this person who's a high-level BJJ specialist doesn't tap Fighter A, doesn't mean Fighter B can't tap Fighter A. I know what you mean. Pajo saying Angie's takedown defense is also very misleading on UFC stats. Verna and Yurt are not the best takedown accuracy, and they had no trouble. I absolutely agree. Problem Kid saying thanks for pronouncing my name properly, bro. Yes, uh, I will say this, though. Uh, I was going to say Pro 8 Lem Kid, but I did see your uh, avatar there. So appreciate the love and support, my friend. Hit that like if you haven't already. <laughs> uh, only reason I think Edgy wins maybe around Loopy makes bad decisions sometimes if a talent is there and her hands look better last time. I'll, I'll say this. I think the best thing to happen to her was the Jessica Penne fight because she fought a very weird game plan there, right? She was giving... Uh, she was giving Jessica Penne all the opportunities to make that fight close. I think she's learned from that, and I don't think we're going to see her in a close fight again until she fights legitimate competition. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. I can't believe we're only four fights down. We still got, uh, what is that, nine more to go, next of which is between O'Day Osborne and Tyson Nam. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus, uh, I know it's chalk on O'Day Osborne. He's currently sitting at, why the fuck isn't his odds here? Oh, they're there. Uh, minus 245 on Ode Osborne, plus 205 on Tyson Nam. We'll start off on the Tyson Nam side of things. Who's coming off an extended layoff due to an ACL surgery. Not you, what you want to be hearing from a 38-year-old fighter, um, but he's been off since January of 2021, where he ended up losing via split decision to Matt Schnell. But Tyson Nam is one of the heaviest hitters that we've ever seen at the lower weight classes. We're talking about a guy that has 12 KO victories in his 20 professional wins uh, and has numerous takedowns to, to boot as well. The only thing I don't really like about his style is, is, you know, sometimes lackadaisical approach in terms of not throwing enough output. And that obviously has bit him in the ass in terms of losing decisions and uh, not being able to have a winning, minute winning style. Uh, but he's going up against, uh, you know, in my opinion, a still relatively green O'Day Osborne. Uh, O'Day, you know, he has 15 fights into his professional MMA career, but, you know, I, I still think he has some things that he needs to shore up. Um, his striking looks solid, right? Obviously, he's able to go out there and get big wins and big finishes early against guys like Zaruk Adeshev and, and Jerome Rivera. But, like, we see him slowing down against CJ Vergara, right? And CJ... Arguably wins that third round by putting his foot on the gas and staying in the face of Ode and, you know, really uh, um, messing him up in that round. 
But I think that he's, uh, I think Tyson Nam is a little bit more live than the odds are actually indicating here. I think he can, um, for one, I think he can keep this fight standing. He has a hundred percent takedown defense rate. Um, never shoots for takedowns either. Uh, sorry, I lied. He did shoot four takedowns against Kai Car France and wasn't able to hit any of those there. Kai Car France, obviously, tremendous takedown defense as we've seen. But in this fight, it's going to come down to like the the wild style of O'Day Osborne, his hands down funky style uh, against Tyson Nam, who's going to be looking to take his head off. And we know O'Day can be hurt. We know O'Day can be put away. And Tyson Nam is definitely one of those guys that could take advantage of it should he be able to land on that chin. So right now, uh, Tyson Nam VKO currently sits at plus 450. It's calling my name. It is absolutely calling my name. I think he can land on that chin of O'Day at a certain point here. He's very durable, very tough to put away. The last time he got finished was in 2013 during prime Marlon Marais days. Right back in the WSOF days. I, I think O'Day will likely be winning the majority of this fight. Probably gets the first two fight, two rounds in the bag just off of output alone. But I'm not counting out the possibility of Tyson Nam chin-checking him at a certain point and putting him out. Last thing to go is power, right? I don't want to usually be betting on a guy that's 38 years old at flyweight. But like I, th I think he can knock out O'Day here. Very sketchy. So, uh, yeah, I I'll likely be leaning. Like, again, I I'll state it. O'Day Osborne deserves to be the favorite. Don't get me wrong. He does. I think the line is a little bit too wide. I truly do. And I think Tyson, I will remind people this weekend that he still has big knockout power. I don't think he has many fights left, but I do think he'll be able to showcase his power one last time. And this seems like a matchup for him to take advantage of the... Um, you know, hands-down style of O'Day Osborne, especially if O'Day starts slowing down later in this fight if he's not able to get uh, Tyson Nam out of there earlier. Again, we saw C.J. Vergara put his foot on the gas and have some success in that third round. Unfortunately, his takedown defense at times failed him, uh, getting wrapped up on the ground and just having too much confidence there. Not a good look. Tyson Nam, you know, we saw him down against Matt Schnell. And Schnell, questionable durability. Surprised that he managed to survive against Tyson Nam there. Excuse me. But... Um, Tyson Nam could put that pressure on O'Day, could find that chin, and could get him out of there. So I'm seeing a couple of people saying O'Day round three slash decision. I'm saying, you know, O'Day decision or Tyson Nam round three. Tyson Nam round three currently sits, sits at plus 1,800. Might be worth a little bit of a stab there, but I don't mind the plus 450 on Nam by KO either. So I'm going to go Nam. Uh, again, it won't be a popular pick this week, but I'm going to go with the underdog here. Uh, I think he has enough left in the tank to produce one more big knockout, and I think it all comes together for him this weekend. Oh, Papa Chuck saying, I page out of Mushroom's book, O'Day, third round slash decision. Nam will then fight one more time and then gets cut from the roster. He'll likely retire if he gets cut. I'll say that. Colstein saying sneaky violence spot. I, I think so, but I think the violence more so comes on the Tyson Nam side more than anything. Evan Cross saying, can you show the fans your eight-time left uppercut combo to show the fans how the dog took your cash for you Saturday? Yes. Even if he didn't land eight of those left uppercuts, he still would have won that fight considering how that third round was going. But I, 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 I Skyped in Safe Sayur and I said, hey, left uppercut numerous times third round. Cash it. 
followed it to a T. What can I say? Just for the gas saying Nam is 37, they seem like lightweight and up 37 bad, but when you're featherweight and down 37 is kind of okay. I'd say higher the weight class, you know, better chances you you can pull it off at at, uh, at a higher age. At a lower weight class, maybe not. Depends on your level of skill and your level of power, which I believe Nam still has in droves. Paizo DFS, and I kind of like Nam here. I don't think Ode should be this big of a favorite. I agree. And Nam's striking kind of nice when he does throw a small play, maybe. I agree. Rick the Ruler saying, Ode got me last time versus Adashev. Still don't think he's that good, but not confident Nam is the one to fade him with. I think just a sprinkle on Nam via KO is probably the best way to go here. Paying chalk on Ode here, I think, is a little bit crazy. Problem Kid saying Ode has a wrestling advantage and is a pretty good wrestler. I agree, but I think that Nam does a good enough job in terms of, you know, getting back to his feet and stopping takedowns. The guy hasn't been taken down in the UFC to date, at least officially. Jordan Shepard was saying Ode was beating Cop uh, until Cop pulled a flying knee out of nowhere. He was, but as we saw in the Vergara fight, and as we're going to continue to see moving forward in Ode's career, seems like he might have some trouble with that gas tank. And, and being able to give us a solid enough round three. You want to have your P's and Q's about you in, thir- in the third round against Tyson M. Martin O'Dwyer is saying, hello, Locke. Tyson M is 28. Uh, sorry, he means he's 37. I think he's 38, if I'm not mistaken. Is that not a red flag? It is, but he is one of the heaviest hitters at the lower weight classes of all time. So in my opinion given how they match up here. I think the KO prop is worth a little bit of a stab, maybe even the, the money line at plus 200 and above, as I think that O'Day, you know, a lot of it is based on hype and and his physical attributes that he's able to get these wins. The kid's good. The kid's talented. I'll give him that. But I think that the line is just a little bit out of whack. Isaiah D. Singh, is there a lock and night on this card? There is. And unfortunately for the public, it's only going to be for the Patreon uh, guys. Um since I am on a three-event winning streak or longer, uh, until I have my next losing event, it's all going to be on be behind the Patreon wall. Once I hit that losing event, then I'll be back to the public. But I will be dropping my dog of the night play for free. We'll see if you guys can figure it out as we continue to go through this card. But I will be dropping a video on the dog of the night bet as well as a four- to five-minute breakdown of it uh, tomorrow on my YouTube channel. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Problem Kid saying Ode also has some sneaky jujitsu. He does. Again, Tyson Am, in my opinion... Does a lot of things right except his output. Um, and lastly, uh, he is training with Max Holloway's coaches now. We'll see if they can do anything good for him. Maybe get him to up that volume. But I do think money line wise, it's got to be Tyson M. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about uh, Gabriel Benitez going up against Charlie Ontiveros. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 340 on Gabriel Benitez and plus 280 the return on Charlie Ontiveros. Now, I am the conductor of the fade Charlie Ontiveros train, right? I, I, I don't think the guy's that talented. You know, I think his skill set is very much limited. But one thing we have to give him the respect for, and he almost forced a couple of people to rip up their Steve Garcia chalky tickets last time around by hurting Garcia numerous times in that first round. Unfortunately, he could not stop the takedowns. Kept getting taken down and eventually got put uh, put away. Violence is the obvious spot here, right? You can bet fight doesn't go to decision. Parlay it maybe with Lupi Godinez. That's probably the best way to attack it. And I'm a big Gabriel Benitez believer myself, but 
I think that we're starting to see the deterioration of his uh, durability as well as the decline of his career. We're talking about a guy that's one in five in his last five fights. Oh, sorry, one in four in his last five fights. Although those losses come into Sudik Yusuf, Omar Morales, Billy Q, and David Onama. But the one, one constant that's been in that uh, stretch uh, was him getting knocked out, right? Not a good look. He got finished twice in the first round um, in that stretch. He has a win over Justin James in that stretch. And something I actually found pretty interesting uh, when looking back at it, because I'm like, pretty much everybody that's fought Justin James has gone on a losing streak since beating him, right? Almost everybody. So let me just quickly look after, look out to this. Uh, Frank Camacho, since beating Justin James... Oh, sorry, since losing to Justin James, got knocked out by Manuel Torres, and I think he ended up getting cut from that. Gavin Tucker, I think, is the exception to the rule here. Gabriel Benitez, 0-2 since that. Justin James win. Devontae Smith, 0-2 since that. Justin James win. Charles Rosa, I think, is also 0-2. Yes, he is 0-3, actually, since that. Justin James win. And uh, he did lose to Carl Deaton on the regional scene. Let's see if Deaton... Yeah, Deaton hasn't fought since that fight. So this might be the end of Gabriel Benitez if he's not able to get the win here. And I get it. Beautiful body kicks, great boxing, good combinations. His durability has me sketched out though, right? Ontiveros, big, explosive, has some solid power in his shots. This might be a spot where he can go out there and catch Gabriel Benitez at the right time. I'm not saying go out there and bet Charlie Ontiveros, but Charlie Ontiveros to win in round one currently sits at plus 900. Got to take a little bit of a stab on that. I think it's in play and I think it's live here. I'm a big Gabriel Benitez guy, but at this line, I think it's one, it's a little bit too whack to trust his durability to that extent, especially with him getting finished in his last two fights. This might be the perfect uh, storm for Charlie Ontiveros to get his one and possibly only UFC win by getting a quick knockout here of Gabriel Benitez. So I, I'll i still lean with Benitez to go out there and get the win. I think he'll, he could survive that first round and then get Ontiveros out of there in the second. But I might have at least a half unit stab here on Ontiveros in round one if I can continue to get that plus 900 or plus 1,000 as uh, the props start opening up on more and more books. So call me crazy, but I think uh, Antiveros could be live here to to pull off an upset. Gunny saying O'Day wins here. I'm sure I'm lock uh, lock. I'm sure of this one. We'll see, my brother. We could uh, likely be head to head on that fight. Papa Chuck saying I've got to go with my fellow Charlie here. Unlikely, but I'm pulling for a fluke first round axe KO. Either way, this fight will be fireworks. I agree. Aaron saying what's up, lock? I think O'Day wins the fight. I would say KO me again. Nam. Hasn't been knocked out in nearly nine years. And the last guy to do it was Marlon Marais. But again, he is 38, 37, whatever. Could get caught at the right time. Uh, Problem Kids saying Benitez is super talented. All losses via versus tough savages and his has a wrestling and a huge grappling advantage here. That is correct. But let me throw something at you here, my friend, in regards to the grappling advantage. He should go to that, right? Anybody with a brain could see that he should go for a takedown. He averages 0.14 takedowns per 15 minutes, meaning he's only landed one takedown in his UFC career, and that takedown ended up being a slam KO of Humberto Bandanai. So it wasn't even like a, a takedown he was looking for. It was more so, oh, 
this guy's going to put me in this position. I think it was a submission attempt that Humberto tried an arm bar. Then he slammed him. They countered that as a, a takedown and they countered as a knockout. Outside of that, not too privy in terms of going out there and shooting takedowns. So is he going to look to go out there and just strike with Charlie Ontiveros? Could be. You know, he didn't even look for, let me just confirm the number here. Okay, he looked for one takedown against uh, um, Omar Morales, was not able to get it, didn't end up going for any other takedowns after that. Pretty much every other fight, he hasn't shot a takedown. So if you're going out there and hoping for him to go for a grapple-heavy game plan, you know, God be with you, and I hope that he actually goes to do that. But historically speaking, we can't lean on him to go out there and provide that type of game plan. And especially at this type of chalk, you're wishing for a lot there. So Benitez is the pick, but I might have a sprinkle on the uh, on the round one. ST Chris here is saying he'll always be the GOAT at Guitar Hero, at least. There you go. Justin Villegas saying, if Justin James is your win, that female version that's your only win is boom. Good comparison. <laughs> AO22 saying Ontiveros is not UFC level. This is a smash spot for Benitez. If he doesn't finish Ontiveros, he should be ashamed of himself. I agree. Victor Ruler saying Mowgli Chin has started to go. If it's one thing I learned, don't bet any fighters. I agree. The Paizos DFS saying the curse of Justin Jane saying when betting on yourself goes wrong. <laughs> there you go. SD Criseria saying Charlie is a good glass cannon. I like him in round one and two dog hunt. I like it. Problem Kid saying Gabriel also has nasty leg kicks. Charlie, if he survives, is going to get pieced up over time. Yes. Leg kicks, body kicks, all that stuff. Gabriel Benitez is the much better fighter. Do not get me wrong. But in MMA, you got to have the durability to be able to back up your cardio and your uh, skill set. Gabriel seems to be fading. You shall see. Justin Villegas saying beating Justin Jay is like beating a handicapped person on the streets. It's a win, but you're proud. But are you proud telling you, are you? Are you proud you telling people it doesn't mean you're badass? Still win. I was able to cash a big ticket on Gabriel that night. Frank Jordan saying Charlie O will nuke the DK Slade if he beats Mowgli. I agree. Problem kids saying love the way you break down fights and break things down, my brother. Going to start being more active in here. Appreciate it, my friend. Love it. I love it. Glad to hear that. Justin Villegas saying let's get this straight. Benito is winning because the other guy sucks. But if Benito faces a little better fighter, he is losing all day. Possibly. Rick the Ruler saying, we said Strickland should shoot takedowns versus Pereira. We know how that went. I don't see Mowgli shooting takedowns, in my opinion. Bingo. It's one thing to see uh, an advantage a fighter has on tape. It's another thing to expect them to go out there and actually use it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Goddamn. Uh, it's another thing to actually see them go there uh, and actually use it. So, again, pick Benitez. Best bet. Fight doesn't go to decision. Just parlay that with something else. But... Uh, I'll be likely sprinkling that plus 900 on Tavaros round one. All right, let's move along here. Seems like this is going to be a lengthy podcast. We're almost at that one hour mark, and we are still on the, what is that? The one, two, three, four, five, six. This will be the seventh fight. I guess we're about halfway through. Let me just wet the wets real quick here, and then we'll get into this prelim headliner between two heavyweights.
Problem Kid saying, uh, God damn, I need this a lot of Benitas and Silva for this wild. Uh, Dana White continues series plus 15, 16 parlay to hit. Now you got me shooting myself. Easy hedge with Ontiveros inside the distance. Easy, easy hedge. Don't even have to stake that much to, to cash it, in my opinion. All right. Next fight. Like I said, prelim headliner between Lukas Brzezeski and Martin Boudet. In terms of odds, we are currently looking at minus 260 for Martin Boudet and plus 220 on Lucas Brzezeski. This seems to me like the easiest spot on the card. This seems to me like Martin Boudet is going to start rolling in the UFC. I think Martin Boudet could be some problems for a lot of guys in this division as long as his durability continues to hold up. For one, he does a really good job in terms of rolling with shots. I've seen him eat big shots in the past and never look like he was even rocked at once. He's eating that shit like, you know, whatever. Uh, what is Martin Boudet? I want to say he, he's not Russian. I think he's Czech Republic, right? Or he's Czech, I would say. Sorry, he's Slovakian. Yes, he is a Slovakian. Whatever Slovakians eat. he's He's been eating big punches from fighters like fucking... Somebody tell me what a, Slo a Slovakian dish is. Jesus. <laughs> but Lorenzo Hood hit him with big shots. He kept moving forward through that. Even on the regional scene, eating big shots, kept moving forward, and uh, eventually broke these guys, right? He he uses relentless pressure, keeps his foot on the gas. His cardio looks amazing. Uh, his clinch work, dirty boxing looks amazing. His ability to just beat guys up in the clinch, beat them to the body, nasty knees, Nasty, dirty boxing, like I said. Drag guys to the ground if he needs to or if he sees the opportunity to do so and then just pummel them on the mat as well. The guy has all the makings to be a solid heavyweight who could potentially crack the top 10, maybe even top five if he can go out there and keep uh, refining his skill set. But it'll all come down to his durability, right? Can he continue to take those big shots that are inevitably coming his way considering the style that he fights with? I For now, nothing has shown me that he's going to be able to crack uh, at least not in this spot, right? Lucas Brzezowski, he has a couple finishes on his record via TKO, but like nothing showed me that he's straight flatlining these dudes. It doesn't look like he has crazy, crazy knockout power to, uh, you know, give me any hesitation or, uh, in regards to the Martin Boudet side. I don't think Lucas Brzezowski is any good. Let's throw in the fact that he tested positive um, on the contender series fight, which is just shy of a, uh, a month of uh, just shy from a year uh, of his last performance inside the contender series where he beat Dylan Potter by that phantom tap rear naked choke that he got, but he was pretty much brutalizing him that, that entire fight. He's a big lanky guy, uses his distance, not the greatest, has some decent kicks, has some good power, but the guy is very fragile. I'm seeing this guy get hit with, you know, um, jabs and, and his legs wobbling. Right, he got put out by a six and six guy in 24 seconds back in November of 2017. Even in following fights, I see him getting touched up by guys and being very much hurt. And he's been able to pull through and actually get the dub, but still very concerning in regards to how he reacts to punches. I think Martin Boudet puts a pressure on him right away. I think he probably breaks him and then finishes him in the second round. I feel pretty damn good about that spot, and I haven't seen the odds yet for round two Boudet, but that's the spot that I'd be looking to take. Plus 400 is what we're looking at for Boudet in round two. Uh, plus 800 is what we're getting for round three. I th I don't think Brzezeski is going to be able to make it to that third round. I think Boudet 
does enough work in that first round to break him and then eventually finish him in that second round. So I'll likely be having some action on Brzezinski in round two, or sorry, in, uh, on Boudet in round two. But honestly, like, again, I know people don't like eating chalk, but I think that this could be the safest spot on the card, maybe right next to uh, Lupita Godinez. So give me Martin Boudet, steamrolling, second round finish. That's it. This guy is... Yeah, Brzezinski, not UFC level at all. Uh, let's see what the chat is saying. Real MMA, real news MMA. Just going back to the Ontiveros fight, saying 100% agree. Payout is great for Ontiveros, is most likely route to victory. Also saw an interview earlier this week from Ontiveros where he said he will be looking for the first round KO. Perfect. Plus 900, sign me the fuck up. Papa Chuck saying Lucas Quinlan's source and local GNC manager Brzezinski <laughs> gets granted into the cage until, until Boudet finds that TKO second or third run. It seems to be the obvious play here. Justin Villegas, that's a bad thing. We enjoy your show personally. Two hours to three is way too short. <laughs> oh, okay. I know you guys, don't worry. Hey, I have my uh, MMA lock talk coming up at four o'clock as well. So you guys will get another hour of me tonight. I am also doing uh, chronic combat conversations, doing a guest appearance for those guys at 9 p.m. on their channel. So you guys are getting almost, where's that? Four hours, five hours of me talking this uh, today. I'm going to be sitting in this chair a lot today, but I got to go make sure I at least take Alfred for a walk, get, stretch the legs and, uh, do a bunch of other things that I need to do. One of them being finishing up the contender series index um, for next week so people can get started on that. Paizo DFS saying, are you worried about if we get some stupid ref who will break up the clinch because of a live crowd? Been seeing that a lot lately, even when guys are trying to do the work in the clinch or the ground. I, I, I'm not hesitant at that at all. Even if they do, I have no hesitation uh, or or um, no no question that Boudet is going to be able to get back to that position. But the way he stays busy compared to how other guys have been staying busy in the clinch, night and day, in my opinion. Really, really night and day. So, uh, yeah. I'm not worried about that too much. Thomas Kane saying, I'm half check my O-made stuffed cabbage lot. All right, stuffed cabbage. <laughs> uh problem kids saying Boudet is a tank and GNC Gary is a cheater. Boudet round two a KO. Bang on. Justin Villegas saying Boudet lock of the night. And no, I'm not copying uh copying right lock of the night. That's my own opinion. Don't please don't stew. Hey, check check your mailbox. I'll be in your mailbox. <laughs> Zach Johnson in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by. Justin Villegas saying, I can't wait for the combat talk. No worries. Thomas Kane saying, I will go second round KO as well. Boudet, maybe we all hit for a change. Yes, that would be great. Uh, Nick Sisson saying, what's up, my friend? This is cool. I'm catching you live on my lunch break. You are working your ass off, brother. Put down more content now than I've ever seen you do. Absolutely. Especially that MMA lock talk that I've been doing Monday to Thursday, 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern. That has been the reason I'm staying. Um active with it that's forcing me to stay active so appreciate everybody coming out on a daily basis to support your boy mma's biggest fan 23 saying do you bet on mma full-time for a living i drink uh, <laughs> i just read moises comment which is i drink um 
I do content creation full time. That content creation just so happens to be around MMA betting. So I am very conservative with the amount that I bet, right? I'm not a guy going out there and betting tens of thousands of dollars a night. I hit four digits a night usually that or four digits per card. That's how much I usually bet. But um, yeah, I, 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 I would develop some sort of ulcer from the stress if I was banking on betting being my primary form of income. But I've built up enough uh, hustles and, and businesses through MMA betting, whether it's through content creation, uh, the tape index, you know, the Patreon, all that stuff that is contributing to paying my bills, keeping a roof over my head and uh, keeping food on my plate. So I would say betting on, or sorry, content creation would be my full-time gig if I was to say anything. Ultimate Picks and Bude Chito. I like it. Uh, Jazz Shurgi on the chat. Been a while since my guy in here. See my guy in here. Dom Cruz money line over four and a half. I like it. Moise Audio saying they drink Palinka in Czech Republic. Palinka it is. It's going to be tough to see Dom. We'll see. Thomas Gaines saying, are you going to be on with Cody this week? Yes, every week, Thursdays. You try to aim to make it for 5 p.m. It will be 5 p.m. this week, uh, tomorrow on the All-Star. So make sure you guys go check that out. I also have a great, you know what? I might as well announce it here. I'm going to have my guy Andrew Gombis on for the Ultimate Wayne Show on Friday, uh, right here on this channel. I believe we'll be going live at 3 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys tune in for that. I'll also be scheduling interviews with um, Cody Donovan, James Krause, and Tyson Chartier so that we can have breakdowns for UFC 278 next week. Jacksonville is always saying, what is up, Locke? Love the title of the stream. You know I got to do it. You know I got to do it. Jasher goes saying, I like Boudet over one and a half. I think Boudet can get him out of there early. Curious. I think he gets him out of there around that one and a half round mark. I think he gets him out of there in that second round. Cold Stein saying, quality content. Appreciate it, my friend. Paizo DFS saying, CLV. The CLV god, Andrew. Yes. He's an absolute beast and a half. All right. That is a wrap on the prelims. Appreciate everybody checking out the show thus far. 50 live viewers in here right now on this Wednesday afternoon, hump day afternoon. Appreciate you guys chilling with me. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below if you haven't already. Drop a comment if you're watching uh, after the live stream has already started. And uh, check out on the audio platforms as well if you haven't already. Um if you guys want a more mobile wor- version of watching this podcast or, or listening to this podcast, I should say. All right, let's get into the first fight on the main card. And we got two Yasmins going at it, and they've spelt their name ever so slightly differently. Um, first of which, we got Yasmin Yaraguay. Uh, I, I I heard her name so many times last night, and I fucking butchered it the first time I say it on the live stream here. Yaragui. I believe that's what it is. Yasmin Yaragui uh, going up against Yasmin Lucindo. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 210 on Yaragui and plus 180 on Lucindo. I had to wet the beak there real quick. Apologies for that. I remember my guy... uh, Moise Audio, if he's still in the chat here. The other day was saying, hey... Yaragui, future of the, the women's MMA, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was very, very high on her. And I'll say this. I started tape studying on the Lucindo side and then seeing her tape, you know, usually when you see a fighter have that much grappling success against any level of opponent, you're like, oh, 
they're likely going to end up being the favorite, right? They usually go out there and um, dominate their opponents by taking them to the ground and just either grinding them out, getting a submission, getting a TKO. This girl seems to have it all, especially, well, not have it all in terms of the grappling, uh, especially at such a young age. I think she's only 20 years old, yet she has 17 professional MMA fights. She had her first professional MMA fight as a 15-year-old. That's illegal. <laughs> you know, cue up that Dana White meme. That's illegal. 15 years old having a professional MMA fight? Maybe not in Brazil, though. Uh, but yeah, a lot of her fights, getting takedowns, grinding out her opponent from on top, winning decisions. That's pretty much her game. Then you see the Yasmin Yadagui side, and you're like, ooh, I get why she's the favorite. This chick, you know, great striking, great combinations. You know, she reminds me a little bit about uh, uh, of uh, Marina Rodriguez, but just a little bit more mobile and a little bit more footwork. She has nice, clean, clean, crisp shots down the middle, throws in beautiful combinations. Uh, you know, if she did have a fly, it would probably be her, you know, uh, ground game. But she has shown great submi uh, submission defense. She's shown great get-ups. She's shown great takedown defense. I think she'll face a little bit of adversity here early from Lucindo. But as this fight wears on, I expect Yaragui to really start to pull away with her striking game, with the better punches, with the better kicks. And I wouldn't be surprised to see her get her out of there with a, an accumulative TKO. I think this Yadagui chick is for real. Uh, I think she has a lot to offer for this division. And her KO line currently sitting at plus, two, plus 225, that might require a little bit of a, a, a sprinkle. Even at minus 210, I'm seeing money come in on the Lucindo side, which, you know, it just could be the market correcting itself, which I completely understand. But I think you can't get too far away from the fact that uh, Yaragui is definitely the better mixed martial artist here. And as long as she can keep this fight upright or continue to get back to her feet whenever those inevitable Lucindo take those takedowns come, she's going to torch up Lucindo on the feet and win this fight with relative ease. So give me Yaragui. I'm going to see where that line continues to trend if that keeps going down if i get minus 170 minus 180 on yaragui i'll likely pull a straight shot on her here maybe 1.8 units to win one unit something like that but uh she's the side she is absolutely the side in my opinion justin villegas saying you never seem to take a break might well be a 24 7 live stream mma talk truman show makes mma talk could you imagine if i did uh a 24-hour live stream, that would be nuts. My wife would hate me. <laughs> um, the only day I technically have off, which I was hoping would be off, would be Sundays. But given the numbers of the last Contender Series stream that I did, which was on Friday, uh, and the one that I did before that, which was on a Sunday, doing it on Sunday is much better than doing it on the Friday. So uh, I'll likely be doing streams every day of the week. But uh, I'm glad that you guys are appreciating it and showing your love by hitting that like and subscribe. Love you guys. Uh, Justin Villegas saying, give me the dog. This could be when that Botello nerd guy came in, uh, was the dog and tore it up. Take chance on the dog. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Thomas Kane saying, can you ask James Cross about his two fighters this week inside info rules? Uh, I'm sure he's given out some inside info on his Discord. But uh, yeah, I'm not... Uh, Maybe maybe I don't I don't like bugging these guys too much, right? I don't want to um I don't want to badger them too much and make them be like, ah, this fucking guy again. Like I don't want to do that. Problem kids saying I'll take the undefeated prospect against the short norris all day. I like it. Moy's bet saying already bet. What did you already bet? Lucinda round one submission plus three thousand, you already bet. Interesting. 
Was it Lucinda or Yaragui that you were high on? I feel like it was Yaragui, right? And I think you bet round one, Lucinda submission plus 2,000 just to hedge. Let me know. Just for the guessing, two UFC debuts uh, against each other, take the dog. I, I, I highly disagree. I don't blindly, you shouldn't blindly take the dog. You should watch the tape and then make your own conclusion. For me, Yaragui is a side here. Fender Jazz saying six striking finishes for a straw weight in common, even if a few came against part-timers. Yeah, you got to be very skeptical about both women's uh, level of competition on the regional scene. I would question Lucindo's level of competition on the regional scene more than Yaragui's, considering Yaragui fought in combate a couple times and fought some legitimate competition there. Lucindo, you know, she's fighting in the back alley somewhere, <laughs> hoping to get uh, dubs against some of these opponents. Uh, Thomas Gaines saying Priscilla fights always have 10 out of 8 chance. She, oh, 10 8 uh, chances she can follow or she could land 15 nasty elbows in a row if she's behind on scorecards. Going to keep getting draw on her fights. Good luck if you are able to cash on that, my friend. All right. Yaragui is the pick. Might have a straight play on her money line as well. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here between Nina Nunes and Cynthia Calvillo. This is one of those fights I want little to no action with. And honestly, it's been a while since I tape started this fight, and I just kind of copy and pasted the uh, <laughs> the the best bets and props article I had from the initial time that I broke down this fight. To me, nothing has changed. I think my thoughts are going to remain the same. And just for the sake of this podcast, I'm just going to read off what I had from my best bets and props article because I honestly don't even remember much about it as well. But just to give you guys a a thorough look into what my brain was saying about this matchup fresh off of tape starting in it because there's no way I'm tape starting this shit again. Uh, this is a tough fight for me to call as Calvillo's mentality is not one you can depend on anymore. She got absolutely touched up by Lee in her last fight, and to me, it looks like she quit on the stool. I will also say there's possibly some recency bias going into this fight, so another reason for me to completely stay off of it. She couldn't get her takedowns going, and she was being beat to the punch each time. Nunez has shown resiliency and the ability to get back to her feet. That is enough for me to be more confident in her than Calvillo. We are also getting underdog odds on Nunez. She has shown she can return in phenomenal shape after her, after having her child, but it was just a bad matchup last time around against Mackenzie Dern. I've long thought Calvillo was underrated, and she has pulled off some solid victories for me in the past, most notably her main event win over Jessica I, but her most recent performances have been very underwhelming that I don't entirely understand the reason she's the favorite in the spot. Nunez looks like the better striker, better cardio, and we've even seen her deal with Claudia Gadelia pretty handily. Let's also not forget that she managed to pull, managed to go the full 50 minutes against the wrecking machine that is Tatiana Suarez. Aline Nunes here, and she may even be worth a bet at, in this spot as she'll likely be the one landing the more damaging shots. I, I put her at 55%. She, she was at plus 130 at that time. But like the more that I'm thinking about the fight, the more that I really want to stay away from it. I'm good. I don't want to touch this fight. Papa Chuck saying Nunes and Calvillo goes to 19-19 between the second and third round. Both fighters quit on the stool and place their gloves in the middle of the octagon for a simultaneous retirement. Draw, history is made. That would be the greatest outcome of all time. Nick Sisson saying, brother, you are the man. You've been working your ass off for years just to finally get yourself into the position you are now. Stop being so modest. You're awesome, brother, and we love you for it. I appreciate it, my friend. Honestly, I, I greatly appreciate that. You are the fucking man. 
It's guys like you. It's comments like that that uh, drown out the haters whenever they come, which are few and far between, but still really drowns them out. Justin Villagassing, breaking news with Witt was training and someone tossed someone toss with the starburst and it hit him in the chin, winning concussion protocol. I hope it's still on. You're killing me. Problem kids saying, yeah, I probably won't touch this. Mediocre versus mediocre. I guess you could argue newness, switching gyms with Amanda may be helping her as well. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Nunes is actually still at an American top team. So, you know, I, I don't, like she has obviously been training with Amanda as well, but I've been seeing her at uh, American top team as well. I think it was just Nunes, uh, or sorry, Amanda that decided to make the switch. There's some more. And Becky's saying, uh, remember Urushitani and Fukradinov? Yeah, wow. Those are some waybacks. I love it. Fenerjaz saying, this one is sketch and then some interesting to have such limited data on returning moms. I agree. Uh, stay away from that fight. Paizo DFS saying, Nunes was busy taking care of the baby during Mamana's camp. I doubt she had much of her own camp or training at that time. Calvio's Instagram, she's been going hard. Calvillo is just a, a lost cause to me at this time. I, I don't want to force a bet on this fight. Even in my degenerate plays and stuff, I'll likely keep this fight out of it, as I will does the Law and Demond Blackshear fight. From a betting perspective, I'm going to act like those fights are not even happening. Nunez left ATT, I thought. Amanda Amanda did leave ATT, but I think Nina still goes there and trains. All right. Let's keep the train moving along. We got four fights left, next of which is between Devin Clark and Azamat Mirzakhanov. In terms of odds, we are currently getting minus 145 now on Mirzakhanov and plus 125 the return on Devin Clark. Uh, Mirzakhanov actually opened up as a minus 175 favorite, held steady there. And now re in recent days, we've been seeing action come in, excuse me, on Devin Clark. And I, I kind of get it, right? It might be the uh, it might be the recency bias of the poor performance from Azamat last time around, right? We saw him get touched up by Tafar and Shukri over 10 minutes, and then he pulls out one from his ass and lands that flying knee and gets him out of there. But Devin Clark is not Tafan and Shukri. Let's not forget that. You know, he's mainly a guy that Looks for takedowns. His striking is improving. I'll get him that. But I don't think he's going to be able to get enough respect from Azamat, where Azamat will start to look a little bit deterred when he's getting outstruck like he was against Tafan. You know? And I think, you know, albeit Clark has the better wrestling background on paper, I think Azamat could still land takedowns himself, right? Iwan Kutelaba, you know, uh, solid wrestler. I think he has a solid wrestling background as well. But he, I think he landed, what, seven or eight takedowns on Devin Clark? I think that this is one of those spots where the, the slow starting nature of Devin Clark could end up getting him smoked here. And I think that's why Azamat will likely be the side. I think his speed and his and explosiveness will be able to find that early chin of Clark. He'll be able to put him down and get him out. But I think that there is something to be said about the, I don't want to call it a fallacy of, of uh, Devin Clark's chin and durability, considering he's only ever been knocked out twice in the UFC. Uh, the second time was against Alexander Rakic in 2018 or 2017 i believe it was it was a long time ago but he has been getting hurt in a lot of fights that's where the the chin narrative comes from right officially speaking only been knocked out twice and it's been a while since it's been knocked out but in a lot of these fights he's getting chin checked he's getting hurt he's getting put on skates he's getting knocked down 
that's where the 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 thing comes from. And I think that Azamat has the early skill and explosiveness to be able to exploit that and get that big win of his own. This could be a potential buy low spot for Azamat, at least against this type this type of skill set. I get the people that were jumping in on Devin Clark around plus 150 earlier this week, but I think at this line, you got to start leaning on the Azamat side and uh, hoping that he can go out there and, and land that big knockout. I'm not sold on Devin Clark. And great, he, you know, two fights ago, he made the switch over to Elevation Fight Team, and Cody Donovan and those guys are, you know, my boys. I love those guys up there. But I truly think that Devin Clark is already capped off at the skill set he's going to be at. You know, he, he's not going to get much better than what he's already at. Sure, he can beat the William Knights, right? William Knight, we find out, is hot garbage. He's hot trash. He can beat the um, he can beat the Fabio Charons of the world, but that's really it. So I'm I'm gonna lean Mirzakhanov. You know, if the line continues to come down, I might just be forced to take a small shot on Mirzakhanov. But uh, he is definitely not the guy that we expected him to be when he came into the UFC. He's not going to be that minus two hundred, minus two fifty. Russian guy that everybody's going to continue to lean on. But I think at these close odds against this type of competition, I, I think we can see Mirzakhanov kind of remind us why he was heavily touted coming into the UFC. So give me Mirzakhanov. I like the money line as well, especially where it's at. Jamie Tran saying, planning to go on to any live events before the end of the year. Uh, nothing in plan as of yet. It is my birthday on October 22nd, which is the same day as UFC 280, but there's no way I'm flying out to Abu Dhabi and paying those ticket prices and all that type of shit. I was considering going to the Apex for another event, but I'm going to see if I can get my schedule to shake out well enough so that I can actually do that. So up in the air still. Problem kids saying, yeah, I'm not touching them. Good luck, brother. Yes, sir. Gunny's saying you can't. You think she can't afford a nanny dog? Stop it. I agree, especially if she's in a legitimate training camp. I'm sure they got a nanny. <laughs> Paizo DFS saying totally get that. It is hard to trust Calvillo at this point. I agree. Justin Villegas saying I feel this is a trap. Clark going to screw us all. Never count out a man with hardly no teeth and trying to keep what he got left. That's a dangerous man to corner. Problem kids saying Clark looked good against a limited one-dimensional night, but that's not Murzaki. Mer I agree. Papa Chuck saying, I think as a Matt gets it here, may even get to match Devin's upper teeth to his lower teeth. Devin needs dentures ASAP. <laughs> I honestly, like, I, I see my guy Liam, like, shout out to my guy Liam picks fights. But one thing he always tweets out when he's saying he's about to go live is, I got the sharpest chat in the game. And, you know, hats off to him. I know he has a lot of sharp guys that usually watch his content and, and jump in with the live streams on him. I actually got one of the funniest live chats. I got one of the, the, the better live chats in terms of uh, entertainment. You guys are fucking awesome. I love you guys. Hope you guys continue to come out on a daily basis or at least a weekly basis for the MMA Lockcast. Problem Kid saying Mersey also has a chin and his forward pressure will be more prominent this time, in my opinion, since not facing a way bigger guy like Tafan. I agree with that, but it's not just the bigger guy in Tafan. It was the striking advantage that Tafan had there, right? The disciplined striking advantage that he had. He's a hard rock to overcome, right? Obviously, now we're seeing his, uh, his durability start to come into question with him getting finished two times in a row. But I don't think that Azamat's going to be worrying too much about what Clark's going to be throwing his way. Oh, Paizo DFS saying if Devin Clark knew how to throw leg kicks, he could be so much better. His legs are like tree trunks. This seems like a good bounce back off for Azmat. I agree. Rick the Ruler saying Carlos Alberg can thank Azmat for losing to Fon's chin because that dude will never be the same. I agree. 
Arlajman G saying, love your chat. Belt Better saying, you have a sharp chat base. Monsters in here. Yes. You guys are, again, love every single one of you. Justin Villegas saying, Lachlan and I got best live talk. UFC 24-7 travel to UFC fights, weekend concerts, and I thought Pete Davidson had a good... <laughs> one thing I would, like, one thing I've always wanted to do, and I'm just waiting to, like, again, I'm, I'm in the process of saving for our house. I'm in the process of having a kid in the next three to four years, right? I, I got to make sure my finances are in order to take care of those things first. But one thing I've always wanted to do, especially with my content and my YouTube pages, traveling to these events and doing podcasts from there, whether it's with somebody that lives there and is a prominent figure in the MMA space or just doing it and like dropping as much content with me, boots on the ground at the actual events. I think that would be fucking phenomenal content, but it costs a fuck ton as well. So I think it's the constant support get this YouTube channel to continue to blow up and that should be enough for me to go out there and, and bring that to life and hopefully you guys can live vicariously through me while I do that. And yes, please do hit that like if you haven't already. Let me take a quick look at what the what the live count is right now. 36 likes. Come on, guys. We can do better than that. We can do better than that. All right. Let's keep the train moving along here. Next up, we're going to be Looking at Gerald Mearshart going up against Bruno Silva in terms of odds. We're currently looking at minus 285 for Bruno Silva, plus 240 to return on Gerald Mearshart. Before I get into this, uh, Lajuan Dream saying traveling podcast would be dope. Yeah, like I want to go to the gyms, right? I'm making uh, relationships with a lot of these head coaches in these big prominent gyms. I would like to set up shop for a day or two in their gym and just have a podcast with whatever fighter are there breaking down fights or just having the MMA lock talk at these gyms, right? I think that would be fucking dope. I think people would really appreciate that. So there we go. All right, let's get back to this fight. Silva versus Gerald Mearshart taking place in the 185-pound division. Like I said, minus 285 on Bruno Silva, plus 240 on GM3. First and foremost, got to say that the fight doesn't go to decision would be my favorite play on this fight, right? Parlay that. What I'm thinking of doing, and since you guys are joining me for this podcast or watching this and listening to this podcast in full, I'll let you guys know I will more than likely be doing another three-leg parlay like I did last week for maybe a unit, maybe a unit and a half or so. But fight doesn't go to decision here. Fight doesn't go to the decision in Ontiveros and Benitez and Lupi Godinez money line. Put those together, you get some plus money. You should be able to cash that. Now, I'm seeing a lot of people with the heavy love for Bruno Silva. Even my guy here, my new boy, problem child, saying Silva is my lock of the week. The problem that I have with labeling Bruno Silva as a lock of the week is... I feel as though a lock should have no issues dealing with their opponent in any realm of MMA. Anything can happen in MMA, right? Perfect example, Bruno Silva's last fight. Even though I was telling people that this fight will likely go the full 15 minutes, that fight went to full 15 minutes, even though the fight doesn't go to decision, it was minus 600. What I'm trying to open your eyes to is uh, another example, actually, before I continue on with this, Mark Hunt against uh, Alexei Olenek, if anybody was around during that fight. Everybody during fight week, oh, Mark Hunt's the lock. No way Mark Hunt gets taken down. He's going to knock out Alexei Olenek, blah, 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 blah. What happens? Alexei Olenek ends up on top of Mark Hunt and gets a submission. Bruno Silva can be taken down. That has been the chink in the armor of Bruno Silva. 
his takedown defense is improving. I'll give him that. But even going back to his M1 global days, right? He was in his last two fights, he was a plus 500 and plus 450 underdog in those fights. He got uh, Alexander Shlomenko out of there in the first round. He dealt with a grapple heavy onslaught from uh, Artem Frolov in the next fight. And Frolov obviously ended up gassing himself out, trying to grind this guy through the mat, ends up getting knocked out in the third round. Jill Mirshar could get this fight to the ground and make things very hairy for Bruno Silva. He could get this to the ground and find a submission. He could get this to the ground and grind out Bruno Silva. But the reason why I largely agree with a lot of people that have big sentiments about Bruno Silva saying that he should be the lock this week is like the speed of Jill Mirshar leaves a lot to be desired. The Hamza Shmaya fight, right? Starches him so quick. Big punch. Gets him out of there. Bruno Silva, big puncher as well. Also, he's shown solid submission defense. He's shown the ability to survive on the mat whenever guys get him to the ground. But Gerald Mearshart is a lot more of an offensive ground fighter than the last couple of opponents that Bruno Silva has faced who have gotten him to the ground. You know, Andrew Sanchez, another guy. Great wrestler. A little bit lack of days going in his approach when he's getting uh, on top of guys. GM3... I think he's fifth all-time right now, tied with Frank Muir for most submission victories in the UFC at eight. He could absolutely go out there and get number nine this weekend. But I think before Gerald gets this fight to the ground, he's going to eat a bomb from Bruno Silva, and Bruno Silva would be able to get him out of there. I think the better way to play this fight would be Bruno Silva. Well, obviously, fight doesn't go to the decision, right? Minus 330 covers both spots, in my opinion. Bruno Silva by KO, minus 150, much better than Bruno Silva minus 285 money line because that is the majority of his knockout equity or, or sorry, his win equity is getting that knockout. I think he gets the knockout. I think he starts his job near chart early. Uh, Silva round one plus 130. Silva round one KO is plus 190. That is the most obvious outcome. That is the most likely outcome, but I wouldn't want to lose this bet on a minus 285 shot on Bruno Silva because he has that flaw in his game, of his ground game. He has that potential to give up a submission to Gerald Mearshart. A lock to me is a Lupita Godinez, who, her striking, you know, good, but it's only like a notch below Angela Hill in terms of, you know, Angela Hill being more active, throwing volume. Like her striking style is probably a lot better for the judges than Lupita Godinez, but she has a sizable advantage in the grappling. Whereas Bruno Silva, sizable advantage in the striking over Gerald Mearshart. But grappling, you know, not just a smidge under Gerald Mearshart in terms of the BJJ or, or, or sorry, at least the, the, the ground game and grappling as Lupita's striking is a smidge below Angela Hills. I'd say it's several smidges below uh, Gerald Mearshart's ground game. So that's what has me hesitant about Bruno Silva on the spot. He should still go out there. He should still be able to get that knockout victory, but tread lightly. Don't time to everything this weekend, but he should still win. Elevate in the... Oh, sorry, I missed a couple more comments here. Papa Chuck saying, I love me some GM3, but he takes a lot of damage. I think Silva sleeps him before he gets a chance for any sub-action. Hashtag Walmart Pareto wins. <laughs> Papa Chuck, you're slowly becoming one of my favorites, my man. Uh, Elevate saying, yeah, let's rock. All you motherfuckers like so we can get this lit up. Exactly. 
Pies was saying violence absolutely the play here. I agree. Justin Villegas saying Silva wins easily, but the real entertaining fight is Mearshart versus Paul Craig. I would pay to see that. I would pay good money to see Mearshart against Paul Craig. Problem kid saying he ate what Sean Strickland couldn't and actually tested Alex's heart a lot. Uh, his wrestling is also good and Joe burnt me a lot. I hope he goes to the Thanos finger snap dimension this weekend. Yes, he should. Elevate saying good to be here. Hashtag lock central like right here. I love it. I'll be back again for 4 p.m. Eastern for the MMA Lock Talk. Just remember that. Real News MMA saying GM3 by sub is too live for it to be a lock, in my opinion, as well. I agree. Again, we're sharing the same sentiments here. And again, uh, Mere Sharp by sub is currently sitting at plus 500. So not a bad hedge out opportunity as well, if anybody is scared off by my breakdown here. Justin Villegas saying Mirshart on one side of the cage with his hands under his head. Craig on the other side of the cage, hands under his head. They both yelling, come here. Fireworks. I love it. Papa Chuck saying, I'd love to see that fight. Yep. GM3 versus the Black Belt Hunter. That'd be legit too. Gunny, is there a place to see what props and lines were for previous fights? Yes. Go to Best Fight Odds. Dot com, go to archive. You'll be able to see the most recent events there. But if you go to archive and then just use the search function, you'll be able to find fights, events, and fighters there as well. So make sure you check out Best Fight Odds. There you go. Olajuwon Dream answering you as well. Rick the Ruler is saying, Phil, you lock. I remember everyone saying Parker Porter was finishing that Bode guy and ended up going fight goes to decision. I was one of those guys that got burnt on the fight doesn't go to decision. I was. I was. But that was another contributing factor to me being you know, more open-minded in regards to fights that people just automatically assume someone's going to go out there and knock, knock this guy out. It won't always play out that way. But I hope for the majority of people's um, money here. We'll see. Jackson Vozo saying, I'm going to use the under two and a half in the GM3 fight to parlay with Boudet. I like it. Martin Rodoire is saying, I can honestly see Clark coming out wrestling and then Asmac gassing. I don't know if Asmac will gas. Clark, you know, he has a sketchy gas tank himself. So be very careful with that fight. All right, let's move on to the co-main event here. Featherweight fight, short notice. Hype train. David Onama coming in as a minus. 280 favorite taking on Nate the Train Landwehr plus 235 on his side of things. Another spot where you got to be careful on the overwhelming love for David Onama and that big ass price tag. One, he's coming in on short notice just a month after he won his last fight. Two, seems like he could still use some work against experienced guys. Um, getting experienced against experienced guys, right? He was getting very favorable matchups on the uh, on the regional scene because a lot of his fights were f- under the FAC banner, under the uh, Kansas City fighting banner. I think it's KCFA. Like he was a hometown guy. They were always matching him up against guys that he should go out there and beat. Just go back and look at either the records of the guys he was facing or even the age of the guys he was facing. He was, you know, he was getting that 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 treatment of let's get this guy a couple wins and he'll eventually get to the UFC. He's skilled. Don't get me wrong. He's skilled. I think he has some good potential. He has great striking, good combinations, big power. We get it. But how is he going to deal with the pressure of Nate Landwehr? Okay, I get it. You're going to say, watch the Mason Jones fight. He dealt with it pretty well. Mason Jones, 
better than Nate Landwehr, right? Is that the conclusion that we're coming to? Oh, but wait, Ludovic Klein beat Mason Jones as a big dog last couple weeks ago. Nate Landwehr choked out Ludovic Klein. I'm not an MMA math guy, but all I'm saying is that anything can fucking happen in MMA. And if you're willing to go out there and pay minus 300 on a guy that still needs more seasoning, in my opinion, against a guy who's faced the toughest Russian motherfuckers in the game over there in Russia and actually getting his hand raised and still having good, uh, you know, decent showings in the UFC. That's tough. That's a tough sell for me. Minus 300 on that type of fight. Like, I the, the durability issues of Landwehr is a big question mark for me. Obviously, he's been knocked out twice inside the UFC. Knees seem to be his kryptonite, so maybe David Onama is working on knees to try to you know replicate what Julian Arosa and and Herbert Burns were able to do. But like, if this fight gets stretched, Nate Landwehr could be very live in this spot. Nate Landwehr could could put the pressure on David Onama, and he can get him out there with you know his wrestling and crafty submission game, his forward relentless pressure. But it all comes down to whether his chin and his durability hold tough. Because if they don't, David Onama will crumble him. David Onama will get him out of there, and he'll win this fight with relative ease. Onama via KO plus 175 would be the play, in my opinion. Otherwise, I think Landwehr has all the chops to go out there and win this fight inside the distance or decision. I'm roughly putting Onama between 60 and 65%, and that is that means you're getting a steal and a half on Landwehr, but it's just the fragility issues of Landwehr that gives me a pause in terms of Backing him, in, backing him in the spot. Similar to Charlie Antaveros earlier in this card, right? If you can find that one prop that you can kind of exploit, like for the Antaveros fight, round one plus 900, going to take a little bit of a shot on that. Nate Landwehr, inside the distance, plus 350, not as sold on that, but even his money line, right? I think it's a great money line. Just be wary parlaying David Onama this weekend. I'm taking him to win by knockout, but Nate Landwehr is an ultra-experienced veteran who's fought all over the world against high-level competition. I don't know if he's just not on the juice anymore, which is why he was able to take all the big shots over there in M1, but now he's got knocked down in two of his UFC fights. But if his chin shows up, this is going to be a long and tough night for David Onama. So be careful about David Onama. Oh, let's see what the chat is saying here. Paisos DFS saying, don't trust Onama as a big favorite right now, but hard to trust Nate as well, despite what he showed in his last fight. Complete pass. Marno Dwyer saying, Bruno Silva's class. Problem Kid saying, I just want to say Onama gas hard against a pressure guy, Mason, and Nate, Nate is three times more of a pressure guy. There you go. And this is Sean Norris. There you go. Justin Villegas saying, I got Onama by decision, but if Nate wins, I will enjoy another Malibu Most Wanted post-interview. I would love to see that. SD Crusader saying, I want to say Onama took the Jones fight on somewhat short notice, uh, but I've not been impressed with Onama at all. I'm riding the train here. There you go. I might even be talking myself into a Nate the Train bet in this spot. A lot of live underdogs on this card, right? A lot of them. Let's see, uh, just quickly running through everything, uh, how many underdogs I've actually picked. Casuera, Nam, Ontiveros is live. Not saying he's going to win, but I think he's live. GM3, not as, you know what, I'm not going to count him. Nina Nunes, live. Nate Landwehr, live. 
Devin Clark live-ish, but I won't count him. And then main event. If you guys haven't already read the title of the stream or the episode, I'm going to make it six live underdogs on this 13th fight card. Uh, Rick the Ruler saying, man, I don't know, Nate likes to bang. Kind of feel like he plays right into Onama style. Definitely could see Onama get the KO. Yes, but I am not willing to part ways at minus 300 to do that. All right. We are about to get into the main event here. Shout out to the 60 live viewers that we currently have. Appreciate you guys hanging with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. Last time I checked the, the like count, we were at, what, 36? Let me see if you guys did some damage on it yet. 46. All right, 10 more. 47. Even better. Appreciate it. You guys are listening to my call to action. I truly appreciate it. All right. Main event time. I've been saving myself for this rant that I'm about to go on. We got Marlon Chito Vera riding a three-fight winning streak. Over guys like David Grant, Frankie Edgar, and Rob Font. He's coming in as a minus 240 favorite. On the flip side, Marlon uh, Dominic Cruz uh, on a two-fight winning streak. Decision victories over Casey Kenny. Says it's a split. I don't think it should have been a split. Don't know what that one judge was seeing, but I thought Cruz clearly won that fight. Uh, and then that dominant victory over Pedro Munoz after coming back from adversity after getting dropped in that first round um, there. Now, let me just list the names of the losses that Dominic Cruz currently has. March 24th, 2007, loses to Uriah Faber via guillotine choke. First loss on his record. He goes on to not only avenge that fight, but beat Uriah Faber thoroughly and handily over 50 minutes, over 10 rounds. He beats him in their next two, next two matchups. And you guys remember Uriah Faber being the better grappler, right? He was supposed to be the better grappler in that matchup. Dominic Cruz, only known for his footwork in striking. He landed a combined seven takedowns on Uriah Faber over, or sorry, you know what? Let's even add in that first fight. He landed nine combined takedowns in three fights against Uriah Faber. Dominic Cruz also landed 10 takedowns against Demetrius Johnson. But he has wrestling up his sleeve. Should he use to take it? He even took down Casey Kenny twice. Dominic Cruz showed to me in the last two fights that he can still go out there and compete at a high level. His footwork is there. His durability is holding up. We saw me the big shot by Pedro Munoz come back and win that fight handily. Not even look phased by that knockdown after he got back to his feet and got back to his ways. His takedowns are still coming. His cardio is still there. The guy made a living off of fighting five-round fights. Just in his Zufa era alone, he's fought one, two, three, four, five, six, seven fights that all went the five full rounds. I think he was scheduled for eight, but one of them finished inside the distance when he lost to Henry Cejudo. This guy has never lost a title fight. Never. I'm pretty sure that WEC fight with uh, Uriah Faber was for a title way back in the day. But, okay, even if we're not talking about WEC, he's never lost a title fight. I'm sorry, he's never lost a non-title fight. I apologize. I'm getting a little bit worked up here that I'm messing up my words. <laughs> Marlon Vera, on the other hand, 
I'll give him his due. Solid wins, right? Rob Font. He gets nearly doubled up on strikes, over doubled up on strikes, or close to doubled up on strikes, but lands opportune knockdowns, and that's what allows him to win the fight against Rob Font. Frankie Edgar outstruck Marlon Vera by six significant strikes, won that first round of the, the, uh, on one judge's scorecard. Uh, two, uh, one judge actually gave Frankie both rounds. I, I don't agree with that. I thought Vera won the second round. And then obviously Vera finished him in the third round. But what did we see in that Frankie Edgar fight? We saw Frankie Edgar use solid footwork, not to the level of Dominic Cruz's, but still solid enough footwork that he was able to piece up Marlon Vera early in that fight. Rob Font, great output, great jab, just doesn't move his, move his feet well enough to be able to stay out of the way of the big shots of Marlon Vera coming his way. Dominic Cruz has a 71% striking defense rate. How often is Marlon Vera going to be able to land on him? And how often are those shots going to be big enough that he actually knocks him down? Because if he doesn't knock down Dominic Cruz or hurt him visibly enough, Dominic Cruz is going to be banking these rounds one after another. A lot of people banking on Dominic Cruz to go out there and just get charged right off the bat. The only guy to ever finish him via punches, Henry Cejudo. And even that, you know, somewhat of a controversial stoppage. But still, at the end of the day, Henry fucking Cejudo. Let's not compare Chito Vera to Henry Cejudo yet. So yes, this might be a passing of the torch. This might be Pedro Munoz, you know, right time, right place, perfect timing to get a guy like Dominic Cruz. But Dominic Cruz is pretty young in fight years, in my opinion. He has He's had a lot of injuries, but I think he's dispelled the fact that uh, his injuries are affecting his performances because he's gone out there now twice, gone up against a young upstart, a, a big prospect in Casey Kenny, and then an average fighter in Pedro Munoz. And it's held up good enough for him. Nothing is showing me that Marlon Vera is going to go out there and beat this guy or starts this guy as a lot of people are expecting. Somebody told me that uh, the widely known consensus in the... Uh, the James Krause Discord chat is that uh, Marlon Vera is the lock of the century. That is bonkers to me. That just continues to show you guys the what have you done for me lately style of betting. Marlon Vera going out there and getting a you know two solid wins, you know very brutal wins, you know especially the way he was able to paint the face of Rob Font in a crimson mask, the way he was able to turn Frankie Edgar into an NFT. I get it. It looks great. But when you're fighting quality uh, opponents that you're not going to be able to land these big shots on consistently enough, then you're going to be like, oh shit, I'm behind on rounds here. And you're trying to do this against one of the greatest bantamweights of all time, who's only ever lost to Henry Sudo, who's only ever lost to the greatest version of Cody Garbrandt we've ever seen. And then that one loss to Uriah Faber way back in the day. Minus 240 on Marlon Chito Vera is nuts. Dominic Cruz is my dog of the night play. I got in two units at plus 180 on him already, as I expected that line to kind of dip in a little bit. But goddamn, the amount of people on Marlon Vera this weekend is very surprising to me. We're getting plus 200 now. I am likely going to add on Dominic Cruz at plus 200. This could be one of those spots where people take advantage of the, you know, just, um, no decision, no bet prop on Dominic Cruz. I don't know what that's going to be sticking at. Let me see if uh, FanDuel has released it yet because those, or sorry, uh, DraftKings. I think it's on DraftKings where they usually do it. 
But like I, I'm expecting that to be chalk, right? He Cruz should be the one that's heavily favored to win this fight via decision. Um, let's see here if I can find it. Um, uh, f- uh, decision only. Wow. Plus 150 on Dominic Cruz at, at decision only. That's crazy. I don't see him finishing Cheeto. I give Cheeto that he's very durable. But to have Cheeto Vera even as a favorite in that is whack. Plus 150 on Dominic Cruz, decision only, sign me up. I might just throw one unit on that and then just add another unit to the plus 200 as well. But... I don't see it, guys. Like, we got to reel in the recency bias. Jeff Neal just reminded us this past week, right? We're writing him off. How are you guys writing off Dominic Cruz in the spot so easily? Like, okay, I can understand maybe Chito Vera minus 130, minus 140. You know, it's his time, the age, passing of the torch, all that stuff. I get it. But this line is way out of whack. This is way out of whack. Dominic Cruz is going to go out there and do Dominic Cruz shit. I feel pretty damn good about it as well. I can't wait to get into the comment section here and see how many people are going to be ragging on me for taking this stance on Dominic Cruz. Let's see. Problem Kid saying he's 17-0 in non-title fights. There we go. Kung Dao Chicken saying Cruz is old now. Oh, okay. The new generation of fighters taking over. Until I see Cruz slow down enough, we'll see. Kung Dao Chicken saying new generation of fighters taking over. Font is stylistically similar to Cruz and Varan dominated. No, 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 no. Cruz is not going to be standing in front of him the way that Font was. Font stood too too much in front of him to which allowed Vera to land those big strikes and land those knockdowns. His output was great. His jab was great. But for him to have that type of output was him standing in front of Cruz or Vera the way that he did. He had good footwork at times, but there were too many times where he was caught staring at Vera and he got and he paid for it. Cruz is not going to get caught staring. Cruz is always on the move. Cruz is always using his eight-figure footwork style to confuse opponents, not get hit, and then eventually hit his opponent. Kung Dao Chicken saying his knees is fucked as well. His last two fights didn't show me that his knees were fucked. Yes, he's had a tremendous amount of uh, surgeries and all on it and all that. Not enough that it actually showed in the actual fight. Problem Kids saying Casey Kenny fight showed he definitely isn't old. Casey is a beast, throws more volume than Cheeto too, and Cheeto has low accuracy rate. Dom Chin has never even been compromised. Uh, he did get dropped by Pedro. I'll give him that. That is obviously on the record for everybody to see, but I love his ability to battle through that adversity and get back to it. And within the same round, get back to his bread and butter. West Coast and Cruz lost to Garbrandt. That Garbrandt was uh, a knight in shining armor. Or, sorry, not a knight in shining armor. Uh, a once in a blue moon type of guy. Because obviously we saw what happened to him after that. But we'll never see that Cody Garbrandt again. And I don't think that Vera will come close to what Garbrandt was successful in doing that night. Papa Chuck saying Vera's leg kicks versus 37-year-old Cruz's rebuilt dead knees equals Vera TKO around four or five. Dom will win more rounds. Vera will straight up Mercruz over the five rounds. I agree. 
Or sorry, I, I disagree. We saw Pedro Munoz chop the legs of Dominic Cruz as well, right? Pedro Munoz, a much more proficient leg kicker, damager of legs. <laughs> Pedro Munoz, he landed 19 of 26 leg kicks that night. Marlon Vera will look to, to attack it. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure he will, but it's going to be tough. Cruz did a good job of checking a lot of the kicks from Pedro Munoz. Did a good job of not being there to be kicked. Uh, Marlon Vera landed 42 leg kicks to Rob Font. If he brings that same thing here against Dominic Cruz, it could work. But I think that we've seen Dominic Cruz deal with that pretty well. Problem kids saying, yeah, prime Cody before absorbing stupid amount of damage. Yeah, that 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 one will never come. Daniel saying, any content or plays coming up for PF4 Bellator this week? Unfortunately not, my friend. I apologize, Daniel. Contender Series and UFC, that's where my focus will lay. Again, I don't want to be one of these guys that are giving you half-assed breakdowns on, um, on other cards or other promotions. I either full-ass it or half-ass it, <laughs> or, or don't even ass it at all. You know what I mean? So I would absolutely be half-assing PFL and Bellator if I did them. I don't want to be that guy. Perry Lewis saying Cruz elusiveness going to be an issue for Vera here, I think. Absolutely agree. Ultimate pick saying Silva is nothing to play with. Yes, sir. Just over the gas saying I say Cruz takes some steroids, and if any fight card you can get away with, it's this card. Just say I did a little drink a little bit of Quinlan's water bottle by accident. There you go. Justin Villagasing, Chica Vera. <laughs> Nick Sisson saying, I'm leaning Chico based on Dominic's age, is, uh, Dominic's age and injuries. I'm undecided, but if it hits plus 200, then I'm decided. It is at plus 200. Take the shot, my friend. Jacksonville Zoe saying, I like Cruz plus 150 decision only. I think Chico has to win inside the distance. I agree. I'll likely be having a shot on that myself. Kostein is excited for this one, as am I. I am ready to look like a complete dumbass, idiot, should Chito Vera actually go out there and get that finish, but I feel pretty damn good about Dominic Cruz. Problem kid saying Vera had gotten smarter, but I got Cruz reminding people what's good. Exactly. Rick the Ruler uh, saying, yeah, I think I got to rock with you on Cruz Martin line, but decision prop look good to me as well. Yes, sir. Paizo saying Cruz decision only looks great. That seems like the best way to play this. I agree. Uh, why Hostel saying Cruz will do his footwork and try to confuse Chito until he gets blasted. Well, he's shown that he can get blasted and keep coming forward. So, or I get at least get back to his uh, footwork. We'll see. Six Chevy Colorado on the cruise train. I love it. Ultimate pick. Nothing looks good about betting cruise, but good luck, guys. One of the bantamweight goats. Only ever three losses in his career against top flight competition. Ooh, and, and I'll say that for anybody saying that he lost to Cody Garbrandt, like we quickly forget, like the 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 form of guys when they beat other guys, right? Sure, Cody Garbrandt's dog shit now. He's fighting Hani Yaya. But back then, very solid fighter. Let's not take away from that. Again, happened to Anderson Silva, right? Great in his prime, but start to fall off. And then people are like, oh, he lost to Anderson Silva. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> uh, Leandro Medina Nunes saying the Casey Kenny fight was too close. Vera will do better. Again, two completely different stylistic matchups. We shall see, though. Six Chevy Colorado saying awesome breakdown. I'm hearing what you are putting down, G. Let's go. Leonardo saying Vera has more power. Again, like... Uh, let me just look through this here. 
let's see the knockdowns that Chito Vera has had. Knockdown Guang Yu Ning back in 2016. Won that fight via decision in a fight that he got outstruck in. He knocked down and finished Brad Pickett, a 2017 version of Brad Pickett, mind you. Uh, other knockdowns. He knocked down Waligi Piran. Waligi Piran, dog shit. Knocked down Guido Canetti. Submitted him after that. Knocked down Frankie Science, the ghost of Frankie Science. Knocked down Frankie Edgar, the ghost of Frankie Edgar. And I'll admit it, I had a shot on Frankie Edgar that night. Thought the line was wide. Was looking good early. Marlon Vera came on later. Beat him. I get it. Okay. But we can all agree upon that Frankie Edgar's durability was obviously questionable that night. And then Rob Font knocks him down three times. Rob Font standing in front of him too much. Dominic Cruz won't get caught doing that. Again, if this was Chito Vera minus 130, minus 140 or something like that, power to you. Take the shot on Chito Vera. Take the power angle. Take the youth angle. Good job. Minus 240, you're just picking winners now. And we know if you just pick winners, you're not winning long term. That's it. So whether it bites you in the ass here, whether it bites you in the ass in Bruno Silva, whether it bites you in the ass with fucking uh, David Onama, it never works out. Uh, let's see. Kung Dao Chicken saying Keith Pearson is ref and Cruz versus Vera as well. Cruz is luck. Wow. I didn't think they'd actually do that. Is he? Keith Pearson is ref and Cruz. Well, I, I didn't know that. That'd be hilarious if it is. Just the storyline behind it. Uh, why House Troll saying would love for Cruz to get another title shot, but damn, he will have to dig deep and lick will be a big part of it. Could be. Uh, and luck will be a big part of it. I don't think he needs luck. The guy is a phenomenal fighter. But I don't know if he'll be able to capture the title against, you know, the the Aljos and the uh, Piotr Jans of the world. I think those guys will give him trouble. Not Marlon Vera. Nanadel Rassia can, uh, Cruz can be dominated over five rounds. That's the upshot of Garbrandt. Cruz cannot be dominated over five rounds. And Garbrandt was the only one able to do so. I'd be surprised if Marlon dominates five rounds. Problem kid, Vera has been dominated before too. If that's logic, there you go. Jacksonville's always saying, I, I can see Vera having the same game plan as Pedro did. That didn't work out without well for Pedro. <laughs> uh, I see Vera destroying Cruz. Wild take in my part. You can say beating Cruz, okay, but destroying, I think that's wild. Uh, problem shot saying Cheeto's low volume against Dom's insane footwork makes it a choppy fight, even if you ignore Dom's high level credentials and elite record. I agree. Paizo saying Vera is too much of a slow starter to have the same game plan as Munoz. Yep. Gunny saying people at the end of fighters' careers dictate their entire skill level. It's so ass backwards. Exactly. Russell Mombeki saying cruise all day. I love it. Ultimate fighter saying younger, hungrier, stronger, and more dedicated right now. None of those things dictate what happens inside the cage in terms of actual skill. Tell me skill-wise, technically-wise, why Chito Vera is going to beat him. Oh, let's see. Pazzo DFS saying, just live bet Cheeto after round one if you really like him. Almost surely you get a better price than pre-flop. Bingo. 
problem kid that was also Rob Font after a hugely apparent shitty weight cut he knocked down. Yes. And also, that was him after getting butchered by Jose Aldo as well. Over five rounds. Jacksonville is also saying you cannot bring 2022 Cody into the conversation. He's afraid to pull the trigger now. He was different five years ago. Bingo. Once his chin was shot, he lost all that confidence. Ultimate pick saying, yeah, but that loss doesn't look good, man. I dis I highly disagree. <laughs> I highly disagree. I think everybody and their mother would say that version of Cody Garbrandt is probably one of the best fighters we've ever seen the grace of the octagon. That's what it took to beat Dominic Cruz. Karen's saying, had to work. I'm back. Don't worry. I'll be back at four o'clock as well, since we are on the back end of this. Guy saying he called that man churros. I know I'm sure it was a uh uh, a mistype or, or or a typo there. Aaron saying she does kicks and some takedown defense gets the dub. We'll see. Again, that's another angle, right? No, maybe not just the footwork, right? What if Cruz looks to get this to the ground? He has that game. He has that game. Aaron saying so his feelings are going to win in the fight. Got it. Exactly. <laughs> I don't ever get that. Cruz has no chin as well. How can people bet Cruz? Because Cruz has only had three losses. Because Cruz has only been knocked out by Henry Suhudo, and even that wasn't even a clean knockout. Okay, I'm, I'm going to stop with the ultimate pick. Ultimate pick. Good luck on Chito Vera. Good luck paying minus 240 on him. It's completely fine. I'm completely okay to eat my words should Chito Vera win this fight. I hope you are willing to do the same if Cruz goes out there and cruises his way to a decision. I want to keep this as civil as possible. We can get heated every now and then, but I want to keep this civil. Uh, I appreciate everybody's... Um, uh, takes. I appreciate everybody participating in the chat, giving their takes as well. When I feel good about and and heavy about something, I will be a little bit more spirited and heated, but it is all out of love and respect. So just remember that. Uh, uh, all right. <laughs> I'm not the lab chat is killing me right now. All right. I can't believe I hit two hours for this podcast. I think I got a little bit too heated and into this cruise breakdown. I will try. Well, I'm definitely going to be dropping a dog of the night video tomorrow, uh, just so everybody can hear my takes specifically on the cruise and uh Marlon Vera fight. Hopefully, I don't go into 10, 15 minute rant like I just did right now. Uh, I'll try to keep it between four and five minutes. I think it was a live chat getting me fired up as well, which is why I went so deep on it. But uh, I like cruise. Cruise by decision, cruise decision only, plus 150. Go out and snatch that if you're questioning Cruise's durability at all. Cruise should win this fight, and I can't wait to gloat about it next week. Or eat shit and uh, have to eat the shit from the, uh, from the live chat. Again, it's all out of love. I appreciate everybody's takes. I respect everybody's takes. That's it. All right, love you guys. Appreciate you guys. I'll be back in just over an hour for the MMA Lock Talk. I'm just talking about MMA more so on a general basis. We can talk about whatever you guys want, whether it's uh, you know fights that are happening in the future, fights that have already happened, or even fights for this weekend, or just MMA in general. We can all talk about, uh, about that on the MMA Lock Talk. See you guys back at 4 p.m. Eastern right here. Appreciate you guys. Um, other Sorry, other big content. 4 p.m. Eastern today and tomorrow. MMA Lock Talk, like I said, Monday through Thursday. I'll be on Chronic Combat Conversations as a guest tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys go check me out and support those guys over there. Tomorrow, propping you up 5 p.m. Eastern with Cody Saftik. Um, 
Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern with Andrew Gombas, Ultimate Wayne Show right on my channel. And then 1 p.m. Eastern on Fight Day for the Fight Day live chat. Sunday back for a Dana White Contender Series breakdown as well. All right. Love you guys. Appreciate you guys. I'll be back at 4 p.m. Eastern. See you guys there.